You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. Welcome to the exciting world of the movies. Welcome back to this crypt edition of the movie Graveyard. We are here on the spookiest of all nights, Halloween, and we're firing up one of the most eerie films I've ever seen. That's right, we're talking about Bride of Boogity. And, uh, you know, in order to get me through something this scary, I needed to bring a very experienced gravedigger. We're talking this gravedigger, his shovel has uh, employee number 0003 on it. That's how long he's been digging graves with us here so trev welcome back to the spooky edition of the graveyard thank you you know we spend all year in the graveyard but this is the time of year where it feels very appropriate and you know i'm glad we're finally getting into this because i don't know about you goat but the whole past year i i couldn't go anywhere without people rushing up to me on the street stopping me when are you guys finally going to do bride of boogity you know you did yeah. boogity we, when's bride coming you got to finish the duology so I'm, I'm glad we can finally we can finally answer the question that i know is long covered in people's minds can the boogity franchise survive uh, an extension to full feature length yeah <laughs> that, that's the question that was on everybody's lips back in 1987 and they got their mm-hmm. questions answered didn't they uh, they sure did. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe the fact that there's no third boogity uh, <laughs> answers that question as well. So, remember uh, John Carpenter when he sat down to write Halloween Two? He said, "There's no more story to tell." Maybe mm-hmm. that's what uh, Oz Scott thought <laughs> when he finishes. So we're gonna get uh, get this rolling. You could have the Disney Movie Club exclusive DVD of. Uh, double feature of uh mr buggy I'd be and curious buggy. to know how many units that that sold i don't know but like there's still people because i checked today on ebay there's mm-hmm. still people that are like doing that scam of like they're buying it for like 12 bucks which is how much it was going for last time i checked and they're like trying to sell it for like 27 yeah. and i'm like that's quite a big of a markup for the boogie don't you think <laughs> Yeah, especially since like, look, it's. I'm sure it looks the same on that DVD that it does on Disney Plus, which I believe is what what both of us will be using. Yeah. Uh, Disney's not spending any time doing an HD remaster on mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Boogity or Bride of Boogity, so mm-hmm. not at all. I, I wish they should. I actually would love to to have this on Blu-ray, but um, yeah, I I doubt a HD master exists because I'm sure they probably filmed it on film and then probably only edited it on videotape or something like that. But right. Well, we should just, I mean, just to set up, just to briefly mention again, uh, much like the first one, this was originally a TV movie. Um, yeah. The first one was only 45 minutes, as we remember from our last episode doing that one. This one, at least, uh, I think this what this is like a, oh yeah, the Disney Sunday movie. This aired as an yeah. episode of Disney Sunday movie in 1987. Yeah. So this is a brisk 92 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at some points, it feels like it's flying by, and other points, at points it does not. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So we're going to hit, uh, you know, I don't know what we're going to hit on these, like, because a lot of these streaming remotes are like the one I'm holding from Google. It's so esoteric, like no buttons have any symbols on them. I have a circle wheel, whatever you have. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm rocking off a Roku remote, so I at least have the okay. play button. Yeah, you have some that, you know, looks normal. So anyway, I want to say one, two, three, go. And, uh, oh. My thing just went into sleep mode. Let me wake it up. Oh, yep, yep. Yep, yep. Here we go. I, just, I had to wake mine up before you, we start recording. Yeah. All right. When I hit say go, hit play on your remotes. One, two, three, go. The wonders of streaming. Same thing happens with Blu-ray players, too, though. They go to yeah. sleep. And we are we are rolling with the Bride of Boogity now. She yeah, is we don't, uh, 
They just they just go right in. We don't get any uh, like opening uh, production credits or anything. Just right into the no. opening credits. Right in opening credits. Some of these folks you you're uh, you know aware of. Some of them you're not. And some of that because we got so actually got some pretty healthy dose of recasting in this film, don't we? We do. So two of the uh, most notable, uh, Christy Swanson was did not come back as the daughter. Um, was this 1987? She was probably at some like young Republicans meeting or something and yeah. couldn't <laughs> couldn't find time to make it over. And then the uh, the youngest son, I can't remember that actor's name, but by this point he was already on Elf, so yeah. he wasn't he wasn't available. They had to recast him. But David Faustino is back, and mm. uh, both parents still the same. We might have talked about this last time, but I again today rewatching this film for the first time in years caused me to look up Richard Mazur. For some mm. reason, I feel like I have this Mandela effect thing with him where I always think he's dead for some reason. Oh, no, saw, no, no. Richard he's... Mazur's still out there, still kicking. As he should be. We love him. Like, like it's kind of weird to sit here and say you're a big Richard Mazur fan, but I actually am. Um, he, I think probably the best scene of the TV version of It, it was his one scene that he had. Yeah. Do you think this opening to Bride of Bookity was inspired by the opening of The Fog? You know, I was I was thinking the exact same thing, and I kind of think it is. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know too much about the director, Oz Scott, but I mean, how could it not be? You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. I mean, obviously we need to recap the first film somehow, you know, yeah. and instead of just doing the old previously on, we get this, uh, I don't know, I guess this guy's supposed to be the brother of uh, the... Um, uh, John Aston character in the first film. That's what I read, but right. I couldn't. I didn't really pick up on that. But telling the kids the the story of uh, the first film in a campfire. So yeah, it definitely feels like the the kind of tacked on prologue in the fog. So I was going to ask you the thing that kind of like was messing with me when I was watching. I was trying to figure out this time frame because um, according to Wikipedia, this is like the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, which which is what I thought going into it. I thought, oh, you know, the last one was whatever around Halloween time or something. This is close to the next Halloween. But then there's like some things that we'll, like, we'll get to, like uh, Eugene Levy. He like he acts like he's just becoming aware that these people moved to town, like in a f- recent. It's weird because like he acts like that, but then the rest of the town acts like they've now known them for years. <laughs> <Right>. There's <laughs> the inconsistency is is pretty uh, crazy in this movie. Yeah, I I had the same thought. I couldn't really peg. How long? Because they feel like there's a couple things. They feel like there's such a institution in the town now, but they also haven't opened up their store yet. Right uh, now, at this point, it seems like the entire town knows about Mister Boogity for some reason, not just them. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a it's not one. But. Well, also too, th- this character here, I couldn't figure out: is he a relative or is he just a guy that Richard Mazur works with? Uh, no, he's supposed to be the brother of the wife, and that's why they okay. have the same laugh. They do that like that laugh where they like kind of wheeze while laughing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I figure he's a family member, like an uncle. Or yeah, he something. does like right here when they spook him, when they give him, when they get him with this prank, you'll hear him go at some point, like my own sister. Because I was, I was wondering, just because like he has a line uh, here where they roll out that you know Mazer's in uh, in line for a big promotion with the gag company. Um, that uh, you know he, Mazer says, "Oh, but we just got here," and I'm just like, I guess you could say that after you've been there only a year. But it, again, like I was confused. I was like. You know, it, I, I was like, did they really just vanquish Mr. Boogity like the week prior and now he's back? <laughs> yeah, I was trying to figure out too if this act is like this actor does not seem like anybody very recognizable to me. No. Like it almost seemed like this was meant to be like, why add in this character suddenly? You know, I almost feel yeah. like it was probably meant to be like some kind of known actor and maybe that just didn't pan out. And then they just were like, well, whatever, we'll just keep it in the script because he ultimately adds nothing to the story. Right. 
Like, like there's like one other scene later on where he kind of shows up and he's like, I guess he's kind of instrumental to the plot, but they could have done without him too. I got the weird feeling. I don't know why, but I got the weird feeling with his character that they were. It reminded me a lot of uh, George Dezunza. Um, oh yeah. Like, have you ever seen him in like some slapstick type movies? Like, yeah, it's just weird. Yeah. So I guess I, yeah, I guess we should say this, this this movie's trying to start out with a spooky atmosphere. So this guy, uh the the mom's uh, brother is coming in and uh, like like they were presenting their house like it's haunted. Like they put up fake cobwebs, it's all dark, there's caskets everywhere, so mm-hmm. kind of what the house did look like in the first movie. Right. Like when they and, and again, that was like kind of messing with my mind too. It was like I did like the gag of the floating violin. I thought that was good. I wish I could go back in time, actually, and, and re- go back to this era. And I, I just, I'm curious, I, I suppose I could look this up, but I wonder if they re-aired Mr. Boogity shortly before debuting this as a, you know, Sunday night movie. Because I wonder, you know, back then when there wasn't home video and these things would, you know, you'd just be kind of a victim if you didn't catch it. You, you know, you didn't have DVR or anything. I wonder how many people watching this this night remembered the story of the first one enough to be excited for this and to just kind of roll right into it. Well, that's what I was thinking, Trev, is like, you know, other than the character of Mr. Boogie, I really didn't think this film was going to have much continuity with the first one at all. And yeah. I was kind of shocked that, like, you know, I foolishly didn't rewatch Mr. Boogie before watching this one. I've just been watching literally a horror film a night, so... I was stupid and didn't figure. Now I wish I did because like there, there is like strict, pretty much continuity between the two films. I, I got you beat, man. I, I watched them both. Um, okay. You know, over the past few days, I watched all of the Daniel Craig Bond films and I watched both Boogities. I got this this continuity blast in my life. So you were much better. By the way, this giant spider that comes out—they have that at my local grocery store, uh, my local Food Max, and uh, they bring mm. it out every year and it hangs from the ceiling. I mean, I think I, it's the maybe it's the one. I, mean, should, if there's a, <laughs> I was going to joke it could be the one, but I mean, I swear <laughs> to God, it's exactly the same thing. And unfortunately, like they usually put it out like the first week of October. Fortunately, like around mid October, it fell last year, and they they usually put it over the the pumpkin display that they have inside, and uh, they just took it up. But I'm glad to report it has been restrung and it is up again this year. That's good. I will tell you, as someone who watched both of these uh, over the past couple of days, that uh, one noticeable change is David Faustino uh, aged quite a bit in the year between. Uh, I think in the first book, you can't really, t- you wouldn't know it's him necessarily by looking at him. And this one, he's definitely starting to look more like the, the David Faustino we all know from Married Children. Yeah. Like, like it's weird because he's like a tiny baby, but he does have the Faustino face. Yeah. I thought that was a good good opening scary touch too with the daughter walking through the woods the teenage daughter like I actually liked that scene a lot mm-hmm. and uh, oh I got to talk about this real quick this this coffee milk gag that they have where it's like yeah. the creamer is like that like I actually want to find one of those like I want to find one you ever see the ones that are like the Coca Cola like pouring in I remember the cup? I remember the Coca Cola ones for sure yeah yeah I never seen and I remember like, the, like they had them like to where they actually looked kind of animated right do you remember those too like the, they would kind of take the next step to where there was something where you could, I don't know if you could like pump liquid through them or something, but it actually made it like a little bit more realistic. That was actually something I wanted to ask you about. We probably talked about this in the last one. I apologize to our listeners. I didn't go back and re-listen <laughs> to make sure we wouldn't reiterate anything. But so this family runs like a gag shop, right? Their whole yeah. thing is they're, they're like, uh, you know, they're all about gags and, and practical jokes and go, you and I aren't too like different in age. I want to ask you like around this time of the late eighties, early nineties, do you remember these kind of stores, these gag stores? We had one in my hometown called gags and gifts that I used to go to all the time. And it was a store that was just nothing but like, like they show in these movies, like the fake vomit, the, uh, 
the the lighter you would pick up and use and it would buzz you um you know so and then the back of the store was always like the adult section right with like the more <laughs> with all the more adult gags i think the only thing that really exists, exists like that today still is spencer gifts in mm-hmm. the mall but there used to be like these independent versions of these that were just kind of in, in strip malls no we we didn't have straight up gag stores that i know of we had uh we had a place called uh i think i want to say it was called Buchanan costume and like it it was legit like an actual costume mm-hmm. rental store and then like mm-hmm. for Halloween they would gear up and stock up on the Halloween shit you would buy and we had another one called Capples that was like it was pretty much a Halloween store but they would actually do seasonal things like you, like they would have straight up just like decorations like anything from paper decorations to like you know more fancy things and like they would like rotate the summer so like Fourth of July they would have patriotic decorations and they you know easter comes they have easter decorations but those two stores because they were kind of like halloweeny stores they did have some of that stuff but they weren't strictly gag stores at all Mm -hmm. i actually remember buying stuff like that like the hand buzzer and all that shit i actually like uh in like the junk toy aisles at like pharmacies and little supermarkets and shit is where i got all my shit like that yeah but um yeah, like uh, Faustino, he kind of like, I don't think he really has the sleaze of um, Bud Bundy in this one, but he's definitely got like, his mannerisms are coming more into into the Bud Bundy character, I would say, in this mm-hmm. one. Yeah, well, what year did Married Children start, do you know? I, I thought it was 88, um, but like, I remember him being like much younger when it started, but I never remember him being like this small. Yeah, he might have hit like because the the growth spurt between the first boogity and this one is pretty extreme. So maybe like in the span of a couple of years, he just kind of shot way up. You know, that's that's another thing is like on Wikipedia and stuff, they didn't really have any information. Um, oh, it actually started. Um, Married with Children started April fifth, nineteen eighty seven. Was the first broadcast. So he he was technically, I'm sure he shot this way before, but he was technically, yeah. you, you know. On Mary with Children when when Bride of Boogity aired. Um, wow. Yeah, that's that's pretty shocking because I don't remember him ever looking this young in Mary with Children. Uh-uh. And I'm I'm thinking too maybe they they just shot this like. But the the one thing I was thinking like how soon did they knew that they were like not only going to do because I couldn't find any information about why the first one was 45 minutes and why this one was 90 minutes. Like what was the format change of, uh, what was the show? The wonderful world of Disney or whatever they broadcast. Yeah, so I think that was just an hour long show. And then these were like a series of like feature length TV movies called the Sun, the Disney Sunday movie. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I mean, I guess the first one kind of did too, but this movie in particular, I don't know why I was getting much more, maybe it's because of feature length and they kind of expand on things, but I was getting very much like, oh, this is like reminding me a lot of the midnight hour. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's nearly as good. The midnight hour is still like a go-to October watch for me. Um, And when I try to like recommend to everybody I know, uh, because you know, it's still just sitting there on YouTube. Um, (laughs) Not being taken (laughs) away. (laughs) But but, But but that out of print DVD is still 90 bucks. (laughs) Yeah, but in general, um, just watching this, I, I felt the same way. And just I was feel, I was getting very nostalgic for just the era of these kind of TV movies. Yeah. And even though you again, I think we talked about this with Boogity as well. Like this wasn't an, a Halloween TV movie. This debuted in April, yeah. which is very bizarre. Um, you'd think this is obviously something you would hold and show in October, but uh, but no, I remember definitely when there were TV movies like this and these these Disney movies and just how big of a deal TV movies used to be, right? How that was yeah. like a whole other secondary market. And uh, I've actually watched a couple different Halloween TV movies this year, um, so. Yeah, yeah. I, it's, I, I miss it. Yeah, I got one from Screen Factory. Uh, 
a while back. I still haven't watched it called The Spell, and it's got a young Helen Hunt in it. I'm ho- hoping to squeeze that in this Halloween. Um, yeah, like, I don't know, like, TV movies, it's weird. Like, TV movies were actually pretty good from what I remember. There are, like, there are, there are some pretty good ones, for sure, yeah. And it's, it's hard, I guess, maybe for, like, people that are more used to the TV that's on now. But, like, when we were, like, kids, most TV shows, for the most part, were done... Pre- you know, you had a couple kind of big, giant hits on in primetime, but most TV shows were done pretty cheap. Yeah. And, like, TV movies, to me, were, like, always a nice medium, because, like, a lot of times they cast TV actors in them, like, people you knew from other shows, but they got to be in a movie, and the production value was, like, usually much, you know, bigger than, like, even, like, a drama. Because you look at, like, old stuff, like... um like Hill Street Blues and uh, St. Elsewhere and all those kind of big shows at that time, like they're very cheaply made. Like they're constantly in the same three or four rooms over and over. You know? Oh, for I mean? sure. I mean, I even remember like if you like if people go back and look at Twin Peaks from uh, nineteen ninety, that's the show where like that was the discussion on that show. Like, wow, this doesn't look like a TV show. Now you yeah. go back and look at it, and it looks like every TV show. But at <laughs> yeah. the time, it looks like completely different than what people are used to because everything else is just so so cheap. So yeah. So getting back to the story here, pretty much the main plot point so far is the teenage daughter, who was played by uh, Christy Swanson in the first film, now playing by Tammy Lauren. And I was actually, because I knew Christy Swanson was in this, but I didn't know Tammy Lauren was in it. And when I put it on, I was like, oh, like I've always liked her. And I liked her a lot. Of, I think horror fans will know her. She was the lead in the first Wishmaster film. Mm-hmm. I never got to see her do much uh, um, after that, really, to be honest with you. She did a TV movie with uh, Shawnee Smith called I Saw What You Did. It was kind of like a made-for-TV horror movie. Nice. Was that uh, like 80s era or later? It was like a remake of like a, like another movie. It was uh, – let me see. Let me look it up. It's 88, so it's not too long after this. But that's one of the one where the, the teenage girls are like doing the prank calls and they'll like call people and just say, I know, I, I saw what you did and I'm going to tell the cops or whatever. And obviously you're just messing with people. But then they call someone who just happened to actually commit a murder and they say that. And, uh, and so he comes after them. Interesting. I just uh, purchased a film with a very similar plot uh, – directed by our boy uh, Gary Sherman who did uh, Poltergeist 3 and Dead and Buried called Lisa with Stacey Keenan and another girl and it's about mm-hmm. girls, uh, young girls making uh, prank phone calls and they just happen to like eventually call like a um, just a weird guy who basically stalks them and everything yeah so, so we should get back to the story because I want to point out an odd plot element to me here so the, the, the like the kind of central thing going on right now is that this town is planning their annual uh, Lucy Fest which is kind of like their big carnival and for reasons that I'm never quite clear on, as we said, like, so now the whole town has just accepted the, the family. Like, they, they just love, like, the, the Davis family. Yeah. And, in fact, they've made um, the, the father, Richard Mazur, Carlton Davis, like, honorary mayor for, like, this, like, month or whatever. Like, just to help yeah. plan this whole carnival, which is an odd thing. But then the whole thing here is that they're having a town meeting. And I guess the idea is, like, Eugene Levy's character, who's, like, the big grump kind of antagonist in this movie. We'll talk more about him, I'm sure. The carnival's always been held on his property, and this year he wants to hold up the town for more money. He wants to charge them more. And Richard Mazur just has this idea. He like floats over. He says, like, why don't we just have the carnival in the town square? And everyone acts like he's a genius for this idea. And I'm just thinking, like, how did? why was that not what they were doing in the first place? <laughs> how, is the, right. how is the town square not where you have your big carnival when we later we see it's, like, perfect for it? You know, why would you be holding on this, like, random asshole's, like, lawn? Yeah, I was going to say, like, um... I mean, not. I mean, Jesus is a ridiculous statement. Not that uh, the first Mister Boogie Dee was grounded in any sort of real reality, but I felt like this one was willing to play just like extra loose and fast with the super 
like almost surreal nature of how goofy like the you know like like in the last one mr boogie and everything was over the top but like the actual town and everything was like normal like here it's like we're almost yeah, in, town in, like, populated <laughs> by weirdos yeah yeah like like it, you know what another movie remind me of is it kind of reminds me of like the weirdo town from uh, elvira mistress of the dark mm-hmm. this is just what hollywood thinks uh mid-america towns are like you know yeah like everybody's such a yokel that like every single person in the town would like attend uh, a town meetings and be a part of all this. You know, everybody gets excited about some yokel shit. But I, I, I got to bring up one thing too. We have a new character now uh, introduced, Eugene Levy, and then like I was like, I was like, he's in this movie. Like he, like I mean, I don't know. Like I guess they were just writing big checks back then on the Boogie yeah. franchise. But he was in theatrical films at this time. No, I had the same thought. This made me rush to my IMDb and be like, where does this fall in his career? Because I was like, this seems like he's too big for this movie. And I looked up and I, that, I still feel that way. Like this is coming off of, not that I'm saying any of these like gigantic hits, but even on just the theatrical level, um, right before this he had done, he was in Splash, Club Paradise, and Armed and Dangerous. You yeah. know, And then to, to kind of go from that to... Uh, you know, this TV Sunday Disney movie, um, right. kind of kind of shocking. But also Eugene Levy does, if you look at his filmography and remember how big it is, uh, Eugene Levy is a man who likes to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember that he's in every single American Pie straight to DVD sequel, yes. you know. So that's a guy who he likes to show up. And, 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 and more power to him. He's one of those guys who you're always happy when you see him. So I, that was definitely one of the, uh, the, the good things about the sequel is if, if you need to add a new cast member, you can't go wrong with Eugene Levy. Like maybe he wanted to get away from like the uh, the more body theatrical comedies he was doing at the time with Robin Williams and John Candy, which featured a lot of cocaine jokes. Like you remember uh, Club Paradise, <laughs> Eugene Levy and his friend, like they're constantly trying to score cocaine to get with yeah. some women. So maybe he wanted to do something for his kids. And like, I guess it paid off because I don't know if you notice his son is making millions now doing potato chip commercials. You can't switch a channel without seeing his son hawking something <laughs> to you now here we have them like okay so they said it seemed to have been there for a while but they finally bought like a store to turn into their gag store which is weird because like they buy this place that has previously been uh, a wax museum and like in particular a wax museum that seems dedicated to like horror and true crime which mm-hmm. again is like a very strange thing to think exists in this little nice town already um, but I always love this in like movies this kind when you walk in and you can tell all the wax statues are just actors trying to stand yes. very still. And, you know, at one hand I was like, okay, well, they're probably going to come to life later. And sure enough, they do. But on the other hand, I could also just see uh, the production being like, we can't afford actual wax figures. <laughs> so we'll just grab some people from the costume department or something, have them stand there. And by the way, Trev, when you said, and they finally do come alive, you got to wait a very long time for you them do. to come to yeah. life. <laughs> and once it happens, it's, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't pan out very much no i actually my favorite it was actually this werewolf uh, person in here mm-hmm. speaking of werewolves trev um i was i was going i just thought of this today um i don't know if you realize this but you either directly or indirectly however you want to look at it you have actually uh inspired uh, my household quite a bit uh especially around halloween time is uh I think it was about five or six years ago. Uh, I think it maybe was about like twenty fifteen ish or so. But uh, you did a, a episode of um, uh, Days of Future podcast examining the X Men, where you played the the werewolf bar mitzvah song. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, one of my favorite Halloween songs. Yeah, yeah. We, I was playing in the house and it caught on, and uh, my fiance. So like 
we got all got into it and uh and even now to this day just the other day we were talking anytime especially i mean we say it all the time year round but especially during halloween time anything that has to do with like ghosts or witches it, it's always gets referred to as spooky scary mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, <laughs> my fiance was saying how come that didn't become a bigger thing i'm like well i don't know <laughs> it's weird because like the the show right it comes from 30 rock and 30 rock obviously treated that as like a joke, right? Like making fun of the Monster Mash mm-hmm. and those kind of Halloween novelty songs. But it's one of those like rare cases where in doing the joke, they just made a song that's actually, it just stands alongside all those novelty songs. And it's just as good, if not better than a lot of them. So right. uh, yeah, it actually is. It has become a part because I love Halloween novelty songs. It's like a, a genre I'm kind of obsessed with. And that really is in my regular rotation. And we still use that on every year for our Halloween episode on Days of Future podcast because uh, it's, it's great. Yeah, because it's like they're making fun of something, but they didn't realize that it's like, no, people actually want that. Yeah. I guess we should say, too, like pretty much the plot is there's been somebody been lurking outside the family's home. And uh, it isn't I don't know if it's quite revealed yet, but it's actually Eugene uh, Levy trying to scare them away because he has a hardware store and he doesn't want to you know, uh, compete with their gag, whatever. Yeah, because of so, course that's the internal battle, uh, you know, Lowe's versus Spencer Gifts. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, basically, the thing that's funny about that is they go to a medium who like looks into a crystal ball, and they they actually kind of reawaken Mister Boogity through this. Yeah, and another thing, I don't know if you were kind of thinking about this as you're watching it. One like a uh, script issue I have with this movie. <laughs> I know I'm gonna. I know I'm surprising everyone. I'm gonna critique the script of Bride of Boogity. How dare but you. this is a family that in the previous movie battled a supernatural creature. And defeated it uh, and banished it off by basically like using a vacuum cleaner to like suck away its his evil cloak or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then in this movie, when like the daughter starts telling the parents, like, I saw Mr. Boogity, Mr. Boogity is coming back. They're, the parents are so dismissive of the possibility of this evil ghost yeah. coming back. They're just like, of course he's not coming. What are you talking about? Like, how would they like, why are they so sure that this evil ghost can't come back? Like they know the rules. You'd think if I was this family, I would live in like constant terror of this guy coming back. And not just, like, say my daughter's an idiot when she says she thinks it's happening. I mean, they uncovered this whole kind of lore that involved this woman that he enslaved and her, mm-hmm. her, her uh, you know, I guess toddler son. He's a pretty young kid. I mean, it was like there was a lot that was involved in it and, like, supernatural to the umpteenth degree. Like, why you would be so, like, whatever. Now, you know, the, the guy who's kind of like the replacement for John Aston. Here he is making his own ice cream for the the carnival fair, whatever it is, and uh, he wants he wants them to taste spinach ice cream. Yeah, because it just looks like pistachio ice cream. But yeah, I I think that was just an excuse to show some green slop in like a child's film. (laughs) (laughs) Now in the in the oh go ahead. No, I was just gonna uh, never go ahead. I'll save it for later. A really quick question. In the reality of the Boogity films, I know this is honestly just a case of like a recasting where they just didn't care about these kind of details. But what do you think? You think in the reality of this universe, was the daughter um, bleaching her hair blonde in the first movie and now she's gone to her natural hair color? Or is she a natural blonde and now she's dying her hair brunette? See, that that that, that kind of like shocked me when I saw her name in the credits that Tammy Lauren was taking over. I was like, oh yeah, she's a blonde. I only ever knew her as a blonde. So then when she came out as brunette, but... I think maybe they thought, oh, we're recasting. I think maybe that was a conscious choice to say, nobody else in this family has blonde hair, okay? <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, like, let's make it. So here's pretty much where we get the real kind of down low on Eugene Levy and uh, how uh, mean he is. He rips up their poster. 
And he has a hardware store, and he's like, yeah, but I, I have this, like, old-timey barrel full of, like, junk uh, gag gifts. That's why he wants their entire store to be out of business, because he has this, like, not his whole store, not a section of his store. He has one barrel full of gag gifts, and he's mm-hmm. afraid they won't sell anymore. <laughs> I wonder how big of a like, chunk of his, like, overall profit margin comes from this barrel of gags. Yeah. It, it it seems like to me like one of those things where like he got like the inside line on like a closeout years ago and he spent like probably like six grand on all this junk <laughs> and and he you know he, like he's lucky if he sells like a gag gift like once a month so he's just sitting on this whole stockpile you know what I mean I mean I don't want to tell this guy how to do his business but you'd think his I, the actual like thing to do here would be try to sell this as at like in bulk to Gag City you know be like yeah. hey do you want to buy this from me. It's kind of funny, too, about his character. Here he does the periscope thing where he puts the, the black uh, eye ring around his eye. But I, I feel like Eugene is, like, the only one who kind of knows what he's in, what he's acting. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, like, he, like, his scenes are legitimately amusing just because Eugene Levy is kind of – it's impossible for him not to be amusing. And like I said, he's very much leaning into the absurdity of this and just, and just playing it over the top. You know, the, that kind of kids movie bad guy. Like he's really he's really going for it. And everyone else I feel is trying to be like genuinely charming or, you know, genuinely realistic. Uh, and I mean, that's fine. I mean, I don't have a problem to serve the performances in this, but Eugene Levy is definitely the highlight. Exactly. And what I was going to say before is um, the uh, the young boy, the youngest boy, I think his name was like R.E. or something like that. Uh, the, the the original actor he he got too busy filming out so they got this young boy uh, I want to say his name was like uh, Joshua, Joshua Rudoy Rudoy yeah and like I like this kid was so familiar to me that I'm like oh he must have worked a ton like I just knew him from so much stuff and I looked up his um his IMDb credits he only has seven credits he didn't actually do that much but the reason I he was so familiar to me he's he's actually the little boy in uh, Harry and the Hendersons oh okay yeah. Not just the movie, though, right? Uh, yeah, just the movie. Cause, okay. uh, because after Harry and the Hendersons, and this is what I was going to ask you if you knew about this, he went on to do a sitcom himself. only lasted one year. I watched a good 10-minute chunk of it uh, on YouTube. But have you ever heard of this sitcom trip called What a Dummy? No. Okay, so check this out. So there's like uh, this family, you know, just a normal family. They have like a, you know, an uncle or a brother-in-law or something who's an old vaudeville um performer with, with a ventriloquist dummy he dies and in the will or whatever they they get the dummy well it turns out that you know it wasn't really a ventriloquist you know act all along like the dummy's actually alive so like they're going through the the uncle's stuff and they find the dummy and like it's an entire sitcom based around this dummy actually being alive and the wow. bet <laughs> yeah and the best so basically there's a mom there's a dad there's like a cool teenage uh boy then there's a younger boy played by Joshua Rudoy, and then like a really small, like I don't know, like maybe four or five year old girl. But guess who plays the cool sixteen year old son who's always rebelling and always clashing with his parents? Our boy Stephen Dorff. Oh, nice. <laughs> and when you when you watch the because the clip that I watched was when they went to the uncle's funeral. And everybody, like, at the funeral were, like, crazy uh, vaudeville performers. Like, one person, this is the kind of sitcom, is one person came to the funeral dressed in a chicken outfit. And uh, Stephen Dorff, man, he steals the show. He He's actually got more lines than pretty much the rest of the cast put together. So it, it is, I, I got to find some full-length episodes of this show. And, and actually, in the 10 minutes I watch, I never even got to see the dummy talk. But... <laughs> <laughs> 
Something I've like in the last couple of years, I've been kind of obsessed with hopping onto YouTube and watching like the opening credit uh, and theme songs for like old 80s sitcoms that I've never heard of because there's mm-hmm. just so many of them, right? Like the 80s really was this kind of wasteland of somewhat sometimes high concept sitcoms that just only last like half a season or one season. And I was actually thinking of pitching to you, like maybe we should do an episode at some point where we just like watch like a singular episode of like a bunch of these shows that people don't remember to just kind of talk about like the general vibe of all of them because there's just so, so many. I would do it because I'm always yeah. curious. Now, did you see the young boy? He got the the vampire uh, snot shot directly into his eyes. Yeah. Like I always wonder, like was that set up that way? Because I don't think you would really shoot it right in his eyes. <laughs> no, and he's like they're surprised because like normally the kids like love the dad's gag, but that one I I don't blame the kid for being upset yeah. and being angry. Oh, like, we should mention too. We were just talking about how like Eugene Levy, we're, we're kind of making fun of that idea of him, you know, being worried about losing his gag, like monopoly on the town. But did you notice that when they left his store, there was a woman just walking on the street, and she had one of those like um, those invisible yeah. dog leashes. So yeah. maybe this town is just obsessed with gags. Maybe everyone in this town just like loves gags. Well, that's what I was saying. Was they they kind of like they changed the reality of the town in this one, mm-hmm. and like I would almost kind of buy it if like the family store had been open for a couple years and like just everybody got gag crazy like i would buy that but like the way they posit it is it's just almost like it's just the way the town is or whatever maybe that's why they moved to this town they knew that they're what they were their stores were going to be like a, a huge boon to this town exactly they did the research what's the what's the most gag obsessed town in the in the world oh it's lucifer falls of course lucifer falls maine of course now do you, do you think it was set in maine just because of stephen king yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Well, was that already kind of like a really known part of like Stephen King's like legacy, though, the whole Maine thing? I'm trying to think of like when people like became really, really aware of him, you know, uh, being from Maine and that being like a big part you, of. You might be right, because I don't books. remember as a kid, like I was all about Stephen King shit. And I don't remember, you know, like, I mean, obviously I wasn't reading the books then, but I don't remember the main thing really coming into play until the the film adaptation of Pet Cemetery. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It could, it could be. It would be a weird coincidence. This is one of my favorite moments right here. It's actually good acting when David Faustina uh, uh, goes to the younger brother and he's like, oh, I heard something. And like the reaction I hear of this kid, it's genuinely like he looks like he just woke up. He tells them, you know, well, the subtitles say Ari wake up, but his his initials or his real name is R.E. as in his initials. But this kid actually looks like he fell asleep there. Maybe it did. Maybe like, you know, these long days on set. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, they were working them hard. <laughs> so, yeah, so this is basically just a scene. And I want to, well, you rewatched it, Trev. Wasn't there a scene similar to this of the young boys in the first movie? that like Yeah, went... the, 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 the youngest one, he goes down to the basement uh, yeah. to investigate something. And that's where he first encounters like the ghost boy. Because the ghost right. boy is like trying, the ghost boy like takes one of his toys and he's upset. And he's like, no, no, that's like my toy, you know, and then that's like what sets off them finding out about the whole like backstory. No, I'll just go ahead and say it because we're like kind of a little bit in the slow part of the movie. I guess my critique of this movie, I do not mind whatsoever a uh, a feature length, a boogity film trip. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you got the same feeling like this film has a lot of fat on it. And like the things that it's supposed to be uh, delivering on, i.e. Bride of Boogity. They're like they're not even like third act things. They're right. like the last night. Like I, I think I looked. I think it was like eight minutes and forty seconds that were left when we finally got the bride of boogity. Yeah. And I'm like, why was this film so front loaded with fat? And then like the last twenty minutes, like they finally got to the, like the legit plot and just rushed through everything. 
I kind of wonder if, because this does have the same returning writer, um, Michael Hanover, or Michael, sorry, Michael Janover, the same returning director, Oz Scott. I do wonder if maybe this was initially written to be 45 minutes like the previous one, and then they had to kind of expand it, and you just see like a lot of unnecessary fat added at the beginning. And I, I agree with you, Gil, because I, I do know, look, I know we're joking. I know we're talking about boogity movies. Look, <laughs> I know what they are. But I, I was thinking if this one was 45 minutes too, and, and you say you had two 45 minute boogities, you could easily just kind of like put them together and like repackage them on like the Disney Channel or like ABC Family Now right. as like, you know, a pretty decent, like still two hour, you know, kids Halloween movie. I think you, like it's just like chapter one, chapter two, just stick them together. This one does not justify its length by any means. And the thing is, is like I have no problem with the things being like here that we're introduced for the first time to the magic glowing key and all that. Um, great. I, I love all the rotoscope effects in this, by the way, I should say. I, I miss those those type of effects. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't mind it being stretched, but like I'm kind of like stretch it evenly. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It's like don't stretch to the first half of the story and then you know blow through the second half or whatever. This I think this scene right they they find this like door appears out of nowhere wasn't this what uh what was his name Charlie Kaufman was inspired by uh, being John Malkovich oh for sure I mean I, I would this might this maybe the the Boogity series inspired Charlie Kaufman's whole career perhaps I do love this set the uh, the cemetery set very very cool you can kind of see the edges of it you can kind of tell yeah. it's on a soundstage but uh, that even that is like kind of charming to me because um, this like looks like a set that I just wish was like in my basement or something you know like yeah. it just has that kind of cool look to it I was I was gonna ask you uh, this was in the good old days right Trev when a set was a set yeah <laughs> like they actually just put concrete well and at first I was like I was like I had a negative reaction I'm like why are they filming the the edges of the set and then it dawned on me I'm like oh that's supposed to be like a a concrete wall, like walling off the cemetery, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which, like, I don't think you really see that often. Usually, you see, you know, wrought iron fences. But I mean, obviously, they were trying to, uh, you know, kind of disguise the whatever. But uh, that's our first look at Mister Boogity. Uh, he does look better film. in this one. They definitely had some more money to play with this time. Like, yeah, he, he I was see what's cooler. I was going to ask you how how did you feel about the change of his appearance from part one to part two? Oh, it's good. It's it's an improvement. You know, it's like it's like how Freddy Krueger looks different in all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. You know, and you can see them like perfecting it as they go along until they backslide on it in the second uh, half of the franchise. But uh, but yeah, no, I think he just looks better. I mean, it's also helped that he's not like wearing a hood over. Like I think in the You're first right. film, they have him wear the hood a lot to kind of obscure how cheap the makeup might be. Yeah. Uh, and this one, they're like a little bit more confident to show him off and kind of put him in the light a little bit more often. It's like, yeah, the only thing is you can kind of see, like, the edges, like, around his eyes. You can see, like, the actor's, like, real face underneath. But it's so this pretty. movie does. This movie also does play him as, like, really more of a malevolent, evil character than the first one. He really is just yeah. kind of a nuisance in the first one. I mean, they yeah. give him the backstory about how he has, like, you know, I, I guess I say, no, he, his origin note is always that he's holding this woman and her, her young son hostage in this house for hundreds of years. But beyond that, for the family, he's just kind of this nuisance. This one, they definitely play him more evil, which makes it, like, doubly kind of funny and and stupid that he's like this very very evil malevolent figure and he just keeps going boogity 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 like that's his yeah. <laughs> the catchphrase doesn't really uh do them any favors in terms of making him a scary villain but i guess for a kid's movie it's fine yeah i was gonna ask you about that like because i don't really know the origin of the word boogity because i mean it's like i mean the word boogity in terms of scaring somebody was around long before these films were um is that like just a legit old timey thing of saying boogity boogity boogity? Like that's what you say to scare people all the time, you know? 
Yeah, I didn't do the I didn't do the homework on the, the term <laughs> I, boogity. I think that's like some eighteen hundred shit. I did like the gag where he's eating the grapefruit and he has like the goggles on with the little squeegee. Mm-hmm. I thought that was yeah. good. But uh, speaking of that awesome set, kind of you know, evil lair set thing there, um, reminded me of we're kind of going. Not that we're always not going through it every Halloween, but we're really this year going through a Elvira Renaissance, aren't we? Yeah, for sure. I, I was very excited to watch her 40th anniversary on Shudder. Um, her biography has come out. Of course, uh, you know, the biography coming along with the big news of Cassandra Peterson coming out. Um, I mean, so the book came out, but also Cassandra Peterson came out right. uh, as, as as queer, which was uh, kind of exciting. I think she's long been a queer icon anyways, so I, it was kind of cool to see the scene really get to adopt her in that way. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to have Elvira back, and I'm kind of hoping that Shudder will consider giving her more specials coming off yeah. of that one. Yeah. yeah, I think she I know. Had... I know she she had like pitched a show to Shutter before, and they turned her down. And I always and I kind of get it because I think Shutter's mentality at the time was the kind of movies Elvira hosts are not typically what Shutter has. You know, right. she really prefers to host the old black and white kind of goofier movies. But I think now that Shutter is really expanding their catalog, and now that they've seen how much people just love Elvira, I don't know that you give her a weekly show like Joe Bob, but I think you can give her a few specials a year and and oh, allow yeah. her to showcase some of those older films like that. I, like, I, I really don't know if it was, like, facetious or it was real, but I guess I saw somebody posting that, like, every weekend through October, Elvira will be, like, taking over the social media of, like, Shudder, Netflix, and something else. I'm like, She's got, like, a possible? Netflix. She, she has a Netflix thing. They're doing a thing where every weekend she, like, she puts up a, a video recommending uh, original Netflix horror programming. Um, it's called, like, Netflix and Chills, I think, and it's hosted by Elvira. They're just, like, these short little, like, YouTube videos that they're putting up. Yeah, it's like she came back full force this year because, uh, yep. like, you know, first kind of like her 70th birthday dropped and then her book dropped and her special dropped, her 40th anniversary special dropped. And, like, I feel like 10 years ago, and maybe it's just because, like, they needed a premise for, like, a hokey reality show, but it's like this whole thing of the next Elvira. Right. And we got to find Elvira replacement. Okay, this woman is 70 years old. I mm-hmm. mean, there's nothing lost you know to the the popularity of the character even due to her age it's like can we just have elvira just be elvira and not worry about that yeah well i mean but if you go back and look at that even she did she was pretty vocal at the time and i think people just misunderstood that that show wasn't really meant to be like her replacement it was more that she was thinking starting to think of the idea of like franchising elvira Mm -hmm. to where she could be playing elvira in like a halloween parade on the east coast and then this other girl could be Elvira on the West Coast. And she's pretty much admitted that, like, the only reason, like, you know, that, that uh, April Wallen was the name of the, the woman who won that. And she was fun, you know, and everything. But uh, Cassandra Peterson has admitted that the problem just was nobody took to it. Like, right. nobody really wanted to pay for, like, the other Elvira. They wanted the, the real one, you know. So it was an experiment that just didn't kind of work. And I think also, like you said, in the last 10 years, I think um, Elvira's popularity has, like, really surged again. And I think yeah. Cassandra Peterson, I think for a while, I, I did get the vibe she was really getting ready to, like, wind down. And I think now she's, like, loving it again. And she's really into it. I mean, I just, I just, I don't know. Like, it just blows my mind that somebody who's 70 years old can, like, not only, A, look that great, but it's, like, uh, just, I mean, it's, like, I don't know, like, it's weird, like, when I watch her now, like, I'm, I don't never feel like I'm watching old Elvira, you know no. what I mean? Like, it's, no, it's like, a, it's, a, it's a timeless character from, like, a timeless performer, for sure, yeah. Yeah, just the magic of the characters there. S- speaking of timeless performers, I mm-hmm. love my boy right here, Vincent Schiavelli. Yeah, another one where I was, like, as, long, as with uh, Eugene Levy, just another great character actor that I was very excited to, to see pop up. What's your, for, for you, what's your go-to, like, what do you think of uh, for Vincent Schiavelli when you see him? 
For sure, the teacher from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Okay, so mine is probably uh, actually well. I think like a lot of people like, like Ghost pops to mind, but also oh. uh, his his role as like the uh, the kind of assassin doctor in Tomorrow Never Dies. I was I was gonna say like like what other guy do you know of ran into Jeff Spicoli and also got killed by James Bond? Because I actually just it just a random you know I felt like watching a Bond film maybe a month ago. I threw into Never Never Dies. I totally forgot he was in it. Mm-hmm. Great awesome. great scene too. Yeah. Oh, awesome scene. Pretty funny scene, in all honesty. But, um, yeah, he also uh, was, uh, you know, the lead of the Sega CD video game Zombie Killer. He was making <laughs> the zombies. Very cool. Yeah. No, he was definitely one of those, like, just interesting faces that uh, popped up in a lot of stuff throughout the 80s and 90s. And it was always it was always exciting to see him. Like, he's not as, like, monotone or whatever. But, like, in a weird way, he kind of reminds me of, like, spiritually as being, like, the cousin or brother of Stephen Wright. Right, they look very... I mean, yeah, I get what you mean. There, there's a similarity there for sure. Just the cadence and the performance and everything. But also, too, like, I mean, maybe it's because he's with these children here, but I, I, I don't know why. I just never quite realized he was such a towering man. Mm-hmm. No, it, it, it's like, this is just a weird whatever, but, like, how they kind of have, like, this, like, seance business going on in this film... And like some of it, like later on, gets faked and all this stuff. This this remind me of Amityville three. That was like always the most exciting part of Amityville three for me. Uh, Amityville three for me was a uh, that faked uh, like whole thing that was going on in the beginning that they uncovered. I gotta admit, I, I don't really remember that one very much. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure I probably have seen it. I will say though, like within uh, like around uh, last year on Halloween, or maybe sometime in just over last year. I did watch for the first time and fell in love with uh, Goat. I don't know how far into the Amityville, Amityville series you went, but have you seen Amityville? It's about time. You know, I I, I don't know. Um, okay, that's a really good one. That's I would I would highly recommend that. That's probably the best, or to me at least, the most entertaining Amityville film. Because those direct-to-video sequels have been going on for some time. I think um, this might have still been theatrical, but uh, don't don't hold me to that. Yeah, like like I, as far as I knew as a kid, um, I always thought Amityville three was the last one they ever made because that was like the last one I kind of see in Fangoria. And then like you remember the video high of Doctor Cyclops? Mm-hmm. I started reading like uh, probably like late eighties, maybe early nineties. He reviewed a couple of those, and like yeah, like I don't even think I rented them. Like in all honesty. Uh, you should check out It's About Time. It's a good one. Yeah, like, I I kind of, I like, they some of those, I'm not sure of that particular one, but some of those actually came out on Blu-ray recently. Yeah, that is one of them, because there was, a, there was like, a, I think it's like four, five, and six, maybe, that were put out by Vinegar Syndrome in, like, a box set. And, because I, I, I want to say It's About Time is part five, I think. It's, it's called, sometimes you see it called Amityville 92, It's About Time. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really fun one. It's got some really cool effects. It's a, a, a unique premise. Uh, it's a fun one. Is that the one that has the dollhouse on the cover? Uh, I don't know, maybe. They are. <laughs> I they remember when like they had a dollhouse on the cover. Yeah, I think, like no, because I, I think there's one that's actually about a haunted dollhouse, and that's okay. not this one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 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 here we have the dad, Richard Mazer, and like this kind of threw me for a little bit, like. Basically, they're having a fake seance to try mm-hmm. and convince the kids, if I get this right, that Mr. Boogity is not back. Yeah, and they instead accidentally bring him back. Right, right. Yeah. 
But, I mean, they saw him in the crystal ball earlier in the previous seance. So, like, I really kind of didn't even get... Again, I think we're getting into the padding a little bit right here. Yeah. Well, maybe it's a good time to ask you an important question, Go, because I'm not sure if I brought this up the last time. But I want to ask you is, so, you know, I, I, I can, I'm imagining, like, young Goat and young Trev watching this movie and maybe having mm-hmm. crushes on Christy Swanson or Tammy Lauren. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to ask you, as the older viewers now coming to this, um, Mimi Kennedy as the mom, you think she's got MILF energy or what? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, yeah. especially during cute, that, right? that, that first scene <laughs> with, with the, the ghoul makeup on. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually surprised. Like I, I saw a picture of her. Um, I guess she's become involved, uh, heavily politically recently. And there was a picture of her speaking at a, a conference, maybe five or six years ago, about, about election integrity. And I was really surprised to be like, because I mean, like, I mean, I can't, you know, it's hard to tell. You see these films, like sometimes, you know, you can't tell how old somebody is. Like, she didn't really appear to be an elderly woman now. So she was probably actually younger in this movie than we thought. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Speaking of getting political, we should mention, too, Richard Mazur, uh, the, the father, um, he served two terms as president of the Screen Actors Guild in the 90s. Do you know that? From 95 to 99, he was the president of SAG. I did not know that. Do you, think his, awesome. like, do you think his application was he just showed them the boogity films, and they're like, well, that's good enough for us? He probably showed that one where, um, where uh, he killed the giant rat or whatever. Remember that? I can't remember. It's either Nightmares or Cat Eye. Uh, Cat's Eye where Richard Mazur kills the giant rat. But one of those, yeah. Uh, so my go-to, Richard Mazur, for sure, and I'm guessing this is not too dissimilar from you. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, you have the thing and stuff like that. But I think when I think of Richard Mazur, especially like this era, uh, the dad in License to Drive, I just think he's he's very, very funny in that movie. Like, he's one of the highlights of that movie. Oh, yeah. The, like, I was totally off base. I, I thought you were going to say uh, The Thing, because to me, other than, um, obviously, uh, you know, uh, McCready and uh, and uh, Keith David or David Keith, however you want to say it. <laughs> now, Richard Mazur kind of falls far down that list for me with, like, The Thing, because I think of, like, obviously, yeah, as you said, you think of Russell and Keith David first, but then I would think of Wilford Brimley. Mm-hmm. Then I would think of uh, oh the other the other black actor's name in that who was like also in a lot of stuff around oh, that time. Yeah, he's awesome. But, TK. Yeah. I forget what yeah. his last name is. TK. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you know you know another one that hits hard for me for the Mazer is remember the um, he plays like the college recruiter or whatever guy in uh, Risky Business. Mm-hmm. And like basically Tom Cruise gets him uh, gets in the college because he gives the guy like a bunch of hookers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I just Richard Mazur. It's weird. Like he's. I'm scrolling through his IMDb now, and it's like, yeah, there's so much stuff that's like crazy that he was in. Now here we have some good rotoscoper effects, and it's like uh, Eugene Levy's trying to mess with the um, electricity outside, but then Richard Mazur's using a microphone inside, so like they both get electrocuted. Like I, I miss those cartoony rotoscope uh, effects like that. Yeah. This is cool too. Like the statue, uh, the statue of Boogity, like breaking, and it looked that looks like it would be something from the haunted mansion in Disneyland, like an animatronic, mm-hmm. like breaking and coming back together. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. Like I thought that was actually the most creative thing of this movie in terms of the the Boogity lore or imagery or whatever. Yeah, I'm surprised it was just nightmares. Um, Richard Mazur played the dad in the segment Night of the Rat, and that's where a giant rotoscope rat is is a uh, is eating up his house, and then tries to eat his daughter at the end. And like, basically, an old uh, I think it's like an old Jewish rabbi gives them like a spell, and they kind of say it, and they suck the thing down to uh, back to hell or whatever. 
Yeah, I thought he was in Cat's Eye too, but I'm wrong because those two movies are very similar. Yeah. Speaking of Cat's Eye, nobody ever talks about that. Like, where are you at on that one, Trev? <laughs> I just recently bought Cat's Eye on, on DVD. I bought awesome. a, a snapper case DVD of it at, like, a thrift store. Um, I'm sure it probably is out there on blue, but I was like, nah, you know, this is like a dollar, so I'll get it. Uh, I, I, I like Cat's Eye quite a bit. I think those are uh, – and I think uh, The Ledge and um, – Smokers Incorporated are two very, very good Stephen King short stories in general, and I think they did a good job adapting both of them. Especially the smoke, the Smokers Incorporated is like the highlight of that movie for sure. Yeah. Um, the the wraparound with like Drew Barrymore and like the the troll or whatever, mm-hmm. eh, whatever. I, you know, I can take it or leave it. But I think those those two stories alone make that a, a worthwhile movie. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I actually I want to say it was two summers ago. Uh, some more Stephen King stuff came out on Blue, and and the, and like I kind of bought that, and then I picked up cat's eye on blue as well because i was like mm-hmm. oh, i, I want to have all his shit or yeah, least... you're right it's definitely like kind of a forgotten one but I yeah think, uh, yeah but it's one of those ones that i feel like was um i don't know like i know it played theatrically and everything but it was like really one of those ones that seemed like to me found its life on cable and vhs mm-hmm. i mean that's just true of so many movies that era right we talked about this yeah. i feel like this is something you and i talk about a lot obviously doing these episodes of how many of these movies were just things we saw over and over and over again on cable. Uh, and that's why we are in love with them. I mean, I'm very aware of that. You know, I'm not, I, there was a, a recent, this is actually from a couple years ago, um, but it was kind of making the rounds again today, like a little meme, uh, like from, I can't remember if it was like reductress or hard times, uh, net or whatever, but it was like a, a quiz. It said, is this movie really great? Or did you just see it when you're eight years old? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, and that's, that's so true, right? These movies of our childhood, they, we just saw them, saw them on HBO con- like constantly. And so I, we're still obsessed with them. It's kind of funny too. Cause I, I, I asked myself that quite a bit. Cause I, I, I watch I rewatch a lot of stuff after years and years. And, uh, I don't know. A lot of stuff holds up to me, mm-hmm. but it's very rare like like it's more like like i don't know like if it's like that like you said you just think it's great because you liked it when you're a kid or what but like i think a lot of it is also too it's like it's hard to judge it objectively just because i also when i rewatch it a lot of times i enjoy that i'm watching something from an older time period just in terms of the style of filmmaking like 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 if anything, I feel like movies now are like a little too fast paced for me. So I enjoy some of the older stuff. Actually, you know, I feel a lot of people. The number one criticism I see with people when they revisit stuff from the childhood, they're like, "Oh, it's so slow. It's so slow." And I mean, obviously, every film has its pace that it needs to maintain, you know, to be the best it can be. But uh, a, a lot of times, films with a slower pace, like I I find extra detail in them that a lot of modern films don't have. Yeah, I mean, this movie does. This is a good example of a movie, though, that you know the pacing could be uh, improved a little bit, as we said. <laughs> well, yeah, we're in wacky gag territory here. Like, Mister Boogity has escaped, and you know his his uh, his. That's another thing too that a little bugged me a little bit. Trev is like this movie posits that uh, Mister Boogity's soul is trapped in the statue they built of him. Mm-hmm. How come we never heard of that in the first movie when he was flying yeah, around? No, that, like, yeah, this is this is like Nightmare on Elm Street uh, again as a comparison again, like how they keep just making up new bits of Freddy lore <laughs> that contradict the previous films. Uh, I guess that was just the, the necessity of these you know sequels that weren't planned back in the eighties and, and nineties. Just uh, uh, what do we do now? Yeah, I guess the statue. But I will say we are finally to the point where this movie starts to justify itself a little bit as a sequel that's at least doing some new things. So I do like that now we get into this like long segment with Richard Mazur being possessed by Boogity. Because mm-hmm. um, first of all, we, we've been talking about how we like Richard Mazur, and so he gets to kind of finally 
do something else in this and be a little goofier. But also, there's just some fun stuff happening now, finally. Yeah, like, I mean, I don't know if it was just, you know, you need the adults to kind of, you know, do more of the workload here in the sequel or not, because it's literally twice as long. But one thing is, like, the, the 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 parents in the first one really were, I felt like, more in the background, and, like, mm-hmm. it was more about the kids. Um, whereas this one, it's like, yeah, like, like both parents get a lot more to do, like, yeah. especially Mazer. Do you think when they're like levitate him around the house like that, do you think they uh, broke uh, Richard Mazur's back the way they did Linda Blair's? <laughs> That's what, and they probably they didn't have a scene scheduled later where Richard Mazur was supposed to masturbate with a crucifix. Oh yeah, yeah. They're like, ah, oh, yeah. You know, we just don't have time to film that today. We'll mm-hmm. you know, leave that out. Yeah, like it's kind of weird though. Like I don't know if it's just because Hollywood has uh, stamped it into our brains about trilogies, Trev. But I was thinking today, I was like. It's kind of weird they didn't do a Boogie D3. Yeah, I know. It's like, you know, these, again, I mentioned like the word duology at the beginning. And, you know, it's always like, uh, yeah, it, that's like almost like verboten now. The idea of just having two and stopping, you know. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, like, I mean, what would a third Boogie be? I guess you just have them get loose again. I don't know. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of more shocked. And, well, I don't know. Like, I was going to ask your opinion about this at the end. But I guess I'll just say it now because we're still kind of in somewhat slow territory here. But, I mean... For a company that is just like so, like so um, obsessed with trotting out and like rebooting old like IP and kind of you know revisiting stuff, what do you think the odds are of them ever like doing a new version of Boogity or like trying you know to do like some kind of Boogity reboot, even if it's just for like Disney Plus or something? You know, I was thinking that right away today. I was like, oh, they should do a part three for Disney Plus or at least like something like a remake or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, like I I read. Uh, you know, because I didn't really grow up with the Mr. Boogity thing, to be honest with you. Like, I, like I, it was really that picture, which is really just a crappy screen grab of Boogity's face on Disney Plus that I contacted you. And I was like, oh, we got to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually ended up being way better than I thought it would, in all honesty. Um, but, like, I don't think it's very good, Trev. And here's why. It's like, I feel like with the, uh, the stuff they put on now, like we have uh, this year, we have Muppet... Haunted Mansion, which I actually really do want to watch. And they also have a, a new one. I can't remember what it's called, like Unwrapped or something, about some kids find a mummy. Yeah. It's like they're doing that kind of stuff. But even then, it like it, as ridiculous as this sounds, it seems like it's even more lighter fare than even Mr. Boogie was. <laughs> <laughs> because I could actually see some younger kids, like, you know, under the age of five, actually being scared of Mr. Boogie. Yeah. Or maybe they would, they would go like the Beetlejuice cartoon route and yeah. have Boogity and like the daughter become like friends now, and like you know, reinvent Boogity as the hero. You know, I was thinking about that like like realistically, like like if there was to be a Disney Plus Mister Boogity three, and I think pretty much the only route you could go behind would be pretty much I would think like David Faustino would be in it and it'd be his family and it'd be like Boogity the Next Generation and his kids. You know, kind of he's the dad and like, I mean, you can't really have, well, I mean, maybe you could, but you probably couldn't involve the sister because, you know, or the younger boy because like they both those parts got recast or whatever. It'd be weird. Like, which actor do you bring back or whatever? But I think probably uh, not. Probably not Swanson. No. (laughs) Well, I was just, (laughs) I was going to make a a stupid joke earlier and I'll just make it here. The thing I like about the the Boogie Deer franchise, Trev, is uh, for my friends that watch uh, Fox News, I can recommend the first one. And for yeah. my friends that watch CNN or MSNBC, I can recommend this one. 
But, uh, yeah. Uh, but, no, like, I think you could probably do it where it's, like, it. I think the only way it would work, and maybe that's why they didn't do it, like, back in the day to like, do part three, is they kind of milked it so hard with this one, is, like, I think it would have to, like, literally be decades later to the point where, like, again, like, people have legitimately forgot about Mr. Boogity and his history in the town, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I think if any, I mean, I don't think anything's going to happen, but I think if anything, they would just do like a full reboot. Cause I don't even think they, you know, these are up on Disney plus, but it's not, I don't, I don't think these are very well remembered or, or that popular. Like when you read about it online, people claim it was like this cult thing, but, it, but I, I don't know. It's hard to say. Like, you know, yeah. it doesn't seem like it. Yeah. yeah. We don't have those. We don't have the Disney plus numbers. The only person that has those numbers is Mr. Bob Chapek and he's not talking because he doesn't want to pay the accounts to uh, add it all up. Now, what do you think about this effect of a uh, Mazer blowing up here like a balloon? I mean, it's cool looking, but I also don't really understand like what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, this so like so. I mean, like I said, I'm enjoying that Richard Mazier is like getting to do this like stuff, and he's kind of you know playing this like possessed version. But I don't really know what's happening in any of this. Like, well, like I thought his clothes were like blowing up, inflating like that, so he could float around. But then I was like, wait, he was levitating before without yeah. that. So, so that's like fortune teller just pulled up um, wearing like a, a helmet on a motorcycle that I very often just associate with like uh, kind of like like Nazis, you know, like the, yeah. The motorcycle helmet with like the uh, the spike on the top. Well, I don't know about you, but when they pulled up there, like immediately, I had flashbacks thinking it was like the the mother and son from Friday the Thirteenth Part Five. I think it is. <laughs> they wouldn't fit. They would. They would feel like right at home in this movie. Honestly. Yeah. Well, the with that face, the uh, fortune teller lady's making right there. She uh, a second ago, she looked like Ozzy Osbourne from the time period. She kind of looks like um, Sammy Kerr from Trick or Treat. Yeah, Sammy Kerr, our boy. And another film, uh, I think Sammy Kerr from Trick or Treat would be, uh, I think he would have a nice little renaissance if uh, somebody could track down those hot Dino De Laurentiis rights to put that on Blu-ray, but it doesn't seem like it ever happens. No, I think that's like one of, in like the, in the end, like certain segments of the fandom, that's like one of the most like desired kind of like HD remaster Blu-ray special editions, and I, it just seems like one of those ones that's probably not, not going to happen, but... Yeah, there, the only place I know where there was a legitimate release is because uh, there was like various versions of Blu-ray floating around, and there's like I'm starting to find out there's a lot of uh, Spanish bootlegs. I've, I, I, I'm pretty sure I've, I've, I own a couple now, but I was actually able to find a legit Italian. It's even got like a weird like hologram import something sticker on it. But I actually found a legit uh, Italian. Uh, trick or treat it's pretty blu-ray it's pretty good but, it, yeah. but I, I don't see it pop up on ebay anymore so you know i think it's a long gone unfortunately is it actually like an hd master or is it just like no it's legit it's just legit it looks good it looks good yeah. um i would say I'm trying to think i would say like it's probably one of those ones where they made a hd master for like tv airings or something but i mean mm -hmm. the the quality that it's not like a special edition or anything it's pretty much like a bare bones release but uh it's much better than that that cheesy dvd they put out here years ago well i was gonna say if anybody if any american company does somehow snag the rights to it and starts working on a blu-ray just let me know so i can quickly sell that dvd for yeah. crazy ridiculous prices online and it's the worst. I remember I tracked a copy of that DVD DVD down years ago for the episode me and Corey did about it. And I was just like, after we did the episode, you know, I needed it for the episode and everything because I couldn't rent it from Netflix or anything. Like, I don't think they had it. I had to buy it. 
I was like, what do I do with this? This is like the worst quality TV yeah. I own. <laughs> like, you don't you want to watch the movie, but you don't even you know you don't even want to watch that DVD. It's so bad. Yeah. That's that's why if we could get a boogie Blu-ray, even if it was these SD versions, because like. I think the first one looked a little more rougher on Disney Plus, but I thought this one for being an SD on Disney Plus actually looked decent. No, honestly. Yeah, no, this one. Having watched them both, this one does look better than the the first one. The first one really looks like a pretty rough, like, like kind VHS of VHS rip. Yeah, VHS transfer. Yeah. Yeah. No. This one is just you know it's just not sharp, but it's it's not bad either. Maybe that's a testament to the cinematographer whose name I'm obsessed with, the cinematographer King Baggett. Yeah, King Baggett. I wonder what King Baggett's up to. Wonder what wonder what he's up to. Spe- speaking of boogity style uh Halloween entertainment, Trev, uh hey, did you check out those Fear Street movies on Netflix? I did. I, I liked them quite a bit. I, I was I enjoyed them. I talked to Bird the other day. He only watched the first one. He didn't like it. Well, oh, Bird, you we, you know Bird is a <laughs> is a grump. <laughs> so Bird, I, I mean, I look. We all we love Bird. He's our friend, but Bird has like an issue with like any horror movies that feature like like kind of snarky teenagers. Mm. Like Bird, that like that will like, dismiss some from like enjoying something right away. Um, I think Bird like forgets that sometimes like horror movies are targeted for a teenage audience, and that's the thing. Like I look at Fear Street as very much like teen horror, teen slashers, and on that level, I, I really appreciate it. It's like fun gateway horror, but also still much. I, I applaud them for going kind of hard R on those uh, yeah. in a way I didn't really expect them to. Um, but yeah, I like them quite a bit. I actually was in the minority though of I liked the um, this uh, the third one the most. Um, and I thought the second one was kind of like my least favorite. And that's the one that most people seem to love because it was doing the whole Friday the 13th riff with like the camp and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked them all, but I thought that was my least favorite just cause I felt like it never really delivered like the kills I was expecting from that kind of setting. Um, yeah. but no, I, as a whole, I liked the whole trilogy. It's like really one of my favorite things I've watched this year just as a whole. Cause I just thought it was really cool too. I love that like release model of getting one a week. Um, I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah, I enjoyed those. Yeah, I'll talk about it more in a second, but uh, but I thought it was cool that the mom, she tied a string to from her leg, and she slept in a, a rocking chair to Mazer's leg, who slept in the bed. She didn't want to sleep in the bed with, a, with a, her husband, possessed by Boogity. Mm-hmm. I, I found that almost risque somewhat. Yeah, willing to sleep in the same room with her demonically possessed husband, yeah. but the bed would be a step too far. Yeah, like like I mean, if he let's be honest, Mister Boogity wants to do anything, you know, uncouth. He that chair sitting in that chair five feet away ain't gonna stop him. <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah, we watched the, the the part one of Fear Street the other night, and um, it was just I guess it was just my fault. I didn't do my homework. Uh, I just the interest I had was R.L. Stein because I liked the Goosebumps movies. And um, I was, like, shocked. I was, like, when the movie opened up and everything, I was, like, I had no idea. It was, like, not only going to be R, but pretty raunchy R. Like, I don't even think a studio would put an R-rated movie out that R, you know? Yeah, that, uh, I mean, look, I'll give him credit, because, like, the bread slicer kill, that's, like, one of the best slasher kills I've seen in a very long time. Like, that was great. Yeah, there was, like, a lot of generic stabbings throughout the movie, and then all of a sudden you got that bread slicer kill, and you're, like, holy shit. Like, what? (laughs) you know what I mean? But, But I liked it a lot. I just... I didn't have a problem with any of the violence, obviously. I kind of wish, in a weird way, I guess I'm going to be that prude, and maybe it's because I went in with the R.L. Stein in the back of my head, but I kind of just wish the, the language had been toned down a bit. Like, What is weird, because, like, the, I mean, they and they talked about this in the making of it, and that they, 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 
they were kind of just using the Fear Street name to a certain degree, and like you know, there's certain elements from the, like the, the mythology that's in there, but. The Fear Street books even aren't really that hard R. They're not necessarily yeah. like that violent. Um, and I know like the director talked about that about how like this was kind of her this is her tribute to like the slasher films that she grew up loving. And it's kinda of like, okay, that's cool, but that's strange that like it's Fear Street, but I understand yeah. like the also the you know, just the wanting to cash in on a name value. Um, yeah. so so I don't know. I know R. L. Stein was cool with it. I watched like a whole interview thing he did with the cast and crew and uh yeah i thought i mean i would just i i'm, I'm hoping that franchise expands i know it did really well for them and i'd like to see them try a little, some more things with it so yeah i was just wanting to give it a chance obviously even beyond the rl side name just because the whole like you said the release strategy kind of blew me away i was like oh they, they, like nobody else is really doing something like this you know what I mean? well and then you know that was like supposed to be theatrical and like what happened oh, wow. like yeah it was it was being made to be theatrical and then like the company that was doing it kind of like went under or whatever and then the pandemic happened they didn't know what was gonna happen and netflix swooped in and bought it um and then i was reading about that because like when i first heard that i was like oh man does that mean they would have released like one of these a year because i think that would have killed the momentum mm-hmm. but actually they were always making it with the idea of uh the producer had this like idea to try this experiment to where they would be theatrical but they would come out all like about three months apart um i wonder i wonder if that could have worked i don't know i think maybe not but but who knows i think maybe if you would have got got it started by releasing the first one on a halloween and then, like, I don't, I don't know if you ever noticed this, Trev, but in recent years, studios, oh, they always try to have a January horror movie. Oh, for sure. Well, this year it's going to be, next year it's going to be Scream. I mean, they just know yeah. Scream is like, yeah. Yeah, so if you would have done, um, you know, Halloween, January, and then, like, you know, I don't know, April, or maybe you could, maybe the third one, you could have waited till like, summer, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that would have been cool. But, uh, yeah, that, I, I can't believe they were going to do that theatrically, too. That's actually pretty cool. But yeah, I liked it, and you know they kind of show you a little preview of the next movie in like a weird, in a weird way, kind of mm-hmm. like almost like a premonition preview. So like, yeah, I can't wait to watch the second one. I, I think I think we're doing them a week apart just to spread them out, you know. Yeah, and that's how I, that's how I watched them because I watched them as they came out. So yeah. Now here we have the uncle showing up again. Like we said this mm-hmm. character is not really like. <laughs> germane yeah. to the plot you kind of forgot he was even in the movie like yeah. for a long time yeah and now he shows up because i guess he wanted some payback because they we said like they they did up their house like it was a haunted house and they dressed up like ghosts and jumped out and scared him now he's gonna like i think he's really what do you think i think he's really trying to convince the family that they got a gorilla loose in their in their house Oh yeah, no, that's definitely he wants to, uh, which is an odd prank, but uh, you know he's just not as good at it as his uh, as his sister and his brother in law, I suppose. But I do like this. I like that we have you know the return of the the cloak. Now we have mm-hmm. like a more uh, you know made up Richard Mazur going full boogie. By the way, that little parrot thing that he just shot, that like a uh, ceramic parrot hanging mm-hmm. from the ceiling, uh, we we had that in my parents' house growing up. The exact really? that exact same one. I can just look at it and be like, oh, that is we that was in our our family room was it had a, t- a nautical theme to it, and that was one of the things hanging there. I would really see those hanging in like restaurants and stuff. Was there? Mm-hmm. Was that just all it was? It was like if you're trying to do a theming of your room, it was like. Well, I think it was because you know what else we had that you might have seen in like restaurants or like in other places like that is we had those like little um, I don't even know how to describe them but they're like these little like uh, busts of like ship captains' heads. Oh, I know would, what you're talking about. Like yeah, little, yeah, little ship yeah, captains. Yeah, and we had those on our on our wall down there as well. And the, the wallpaper was all um, it was like a like a map of the sea with like different ships and stuff on it. So yeah, my I don't even know why I don't even I never asked my parents about like why the nautical theme, but that's how the living room was when I was growing up. It had to be a trend back then, don't you think? It must have been, yeah. Yeah, yeah one thing I thought was interesting, he like uh, Mazer is like. Uh, 
I don't even know really what color Mr. Boogie was in the first one. He was like so weird looking. But in this one, the boogity makeup is almost like a weird bronze color, which is like uh, funny because like when Mazer's like more possessed here, I guess you would say he uh, he's his like his makeup is kind of bronzed, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, he's got like this kind of like a gold bronze look to him. What do you think of this idea, by the way? What do you think of like Richard Mazer's sense of humor and just pure humanity overpowering boogity? Uh, and then, like, laughing at the the, the gorilla costume, like, <laughs> being able to defeat his possession. I really liked it, but at the same time when it happened, I was, like, kind of confused or, like, what's going on here? Because, like, yeah, when he sees his, his uh, brother-in-law in the gorilla outfit, like, he laughs. And when he laughs, it brings his, like, his own personality back and kind of sends mm-hmm. Boogity away. So he starts, like, making flowers, like, shoot all over the, the wall. And, like, I guess that was just, like a budget thing of like oh mm-hmm. but but to me because like he was like the gag king richard mazer i thought he would put like sillier shit on the walls than just flowers you know what yeah I mean? <laughs> it just seemed like an odd choice i don't know now i think we're finally getting in we're starting to get closer to like what this movie should have been the whole time this is what you kind of talk about with like the pacing being off i think you know what this movie always should have been about is boogity kind of working with the eugene levy character Right. Um, it's kind of like his new, like, evil sidekick. And then, of course, you can still do what they do, which is you're always going to do in a Disney movie of Levy realizing he was wrong and kind of helping out at the end. But, yeah, I just feel like the whole movie should have been should have been what we're about to get in the next, like, 20 minutes or so. Yeah, I just checked the time. Like, it's 24 minutes left, and, like, we're finally getting to, like, where I think we should have been at, like, at the 20-minute mark of the movie. It's like... yeah. It's like you have this family, which is Boogity's nemesis, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have Eugene Levy, who also hates the family. Why wouldn't Boogity, like, immediately just kind of, you know what I mean? Because keep in mind, like, when that electrocution and all that shit happened, like, they both got electrocuted. Like, he could have easily gone into, um, or no, I mm-hmm. guess it was actually the magic key earlier that is what really possessed Mazer when he, whatever. But I, but I mean, like, like, you know, you like Eugene Levy hates the family. Like maybe he broke yeah. into their home at some point and he goes downstairs and like finds mm-hmm. the cloak, you know, it's like, there's lots of ways to get to it earlier. I mean, it has been so easier to write it that way. And like, I don't know, maybe they only had like, and by the way, Levy just stole this cloak out from right out from under them. <laughs> <laughs> which i don't even even i saw that and i was like i guess this is a kid's movie and all that but i don't even get how that was possible like they're yeah. all eating because i guess he got real hungry for being possessed by mr boogie so he richard mazer ate like 17 like pumpkin pies or whatever they were why'd they have that many pumpkin pies i don't know they just had them on hand like and they don't even tie it to the carnival or whatever yeah so yeah here here we finally have Livy. like he doesn't even know why he just wants to steal the cloak of boogity but now he's uh what did you think of the visual visual representation of boogity is like he's almost like fireflies or little sparks or whatever i, I mean i liked it for like you said like that kind of like animation i just i, yeah. I love seeing that yeah here we got a great crane shot of the town square trev and i was going to ask you this like without doing screenshots in comparison do you think this is the same backlot town square that they use for wandavision uh, I don't know. Like I, I, I feel like there's probably just a lot of those like kind of backlots that look like mm-hmm. that. I was gonna say like you know when I watch a show like Wandavision or Back to the Future or this right, um, Midnight Hour. Uh, mm-hmm. I that's I always watch these. I'm just still I have this like a nostalgic idea of like I, this is the kind of town I want to live in. <laughs> like yeah. even today, still it's like man, I I want to be in a town like that where everyone knows them knows each other and you know it has this like cool like uh, carnival in the town square and everything. Like this looks great to me. It does. I agree a thousand percent. 
Now here, here would they have their like? Their, I would just say Halloween costumes, but it's not even Halloween in the movie. It's the carnival costumes, and I love the one that the, the littlest boy has. David Faustino is just dressed like Junior from Problem Child when he dressed like the devil. He looks just like him, but the little boy has like. It looks like a wolf's head mask, but it's really, I guess, supposed to be a bat. And he has this really cool costume with these, like, kind of green glittery wings on it. Like, I couldn't stop staring at it. I was like, I wish I had a costume like that now. It is really weird that, as you said, like, this is, like, not even Halloween, but everyone's just wearing, like, full-on Halloween costumes. I like this little detail, too, with, like, the daughter's costume being exactly the same as uh, Mm -hmm. Mrs. Hooter's costume here and, like, the little moment of jealousy there, being like, oh, that young beauty just looks so much better. (laughs) I was going to ask you, because you were bringing up about the the mom and MILF energy. I I thought this was, like, a forebear of the GILF energy of uh, an (laughs) entertainment, like... Like, it's weird. Like, I don't really remember. Like, now you see all these older women trying to be all sexy in movies and stuff. I, I don't really don't remember this being the norm at the time. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I do like when the, the, the brother in a moment who was, like, not at all excited about being in this town, like, couldn't wait to leave. Now he's going to come up and yeah, right here he says, like, that's kind of really fun. It seems like everybody in the world is here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what, is, what does he mean by that? Like, who did he see that he didn't expect to see? Everybody in the world. You pan over like a princess dies there or something, you know. <laughs> I like the little boy in the back costume trying to eat the popcorn with like his like little gloved hands and shit. I don't know why I found that interesting. But yeah, man. Yeah, and I, and also too, I was going to ask you, Trev, because like there's a lot of like recent movies, you know, big budget franchise movies or whatever. They get a lot of criticism. I think this little girl was one of the little girls from the Freddy movie. One of the little one, two, Freddy's coming for you girls right there. She looks like oh, yeah? with the tiara. Yeah, she does. Don't you just think all those like girls, like all those like young, like blonde girls in movies look the same? Yeah. I think she was the one from part three where like uh, Patricia Arquette runs in the house and then all she's like a little girl and then all of a sudden she's just like a dummy skeleton. Could be wrong though. But anyway, what I was going to say is like there's a lot of criticism of modern screenwriting trev that like oh basically this or this only happened because it had to for the plot now like did you buy that the the mom of the family was dressed like the pilgrim lady which makes uh eugene levy possess mr boogity want to abduct her did you find that a little too convenient it's convenient but i wouldn't say like it's out of bounds for like what this story is you know like in this town i get why you would like he found that costume it makes sense it's an easy costume and it there is like a historical significance to it it's almost like they're tempting fate a little bit you know because uh-huh. at this point they do know mr boogity is out on the loose i suppose but uh but for a movie called bride of boogity i don't hate the idea that boogity becomes like sees her in the costume and decides to try and make her his bride yeah. um there is like a certain like I don't use a word like I don't know if you're, there's like a certain like rapey quality to it that I was kind of surprised to see in like a, a Disney Sunday night movie you know like the fact that he's like yeah trying to kidnap the mom and like I don't know it is it is bizarre but uh whatever I guess kids weren't thinking of it in that in that regard earlier. No, no. I think one person that would look back on it though and call it rapey for sure would be our boy Kerry Fukunaga he would have uh problems with this bride of boogity <laughs> He is the arbitrator of, of past films. Speaking of which, since we know this is the uh, the end of the Boogity franchise, but we're not quite sure if it's the end of the, the James Bond franchise. What I was going to tell you, or before I said, you know, now I didn't even know you've seen the new James Bond, but it is out and released. It's the number one film in the world, actually, right now. 
I was going to ask you, you know, they made it very clear, um, you know, Daniel Craig, this is the last Bond film. Well, his whole series was very interesting in that it was the first time they did a Bond origin. You know, he's always retiring, unretiring throughout their, like, I always got the feeling that his, whatever, I guess there are five films, I always got the feeling that his five films were, like, their own continuity, you know what I mean? Like, they meant for it to be a beginning and just, like, you know... Like, like when you make Batman movies, like, you, you do your little run, and then you end them, and then the next one starts, and it's, like, the beginning of Batman again. Whereas, like, James Bond was always different, where, like, I guess you were supposed to believe that Roger Moore and Sean Connery are always in the same continuity, you know what I mean? So, like, there's I guess... Like little, there's little, like, indications of that, and that, um, you know, uh, after Under Majesty's Secret Service, the next film, Diamonds Are Forever, starts with Sean Connery getting revenge for the murder of Bond's wife in that the, the previous movie. Right. Yeah. But, but what I was going to say, like, do you think now that, like, Daniel Craig is coming on, the next James Bond will go back to, I guess... Um, Connery, Moore, Dalton, Brosnan continuity, or you think we'll just restart again? Like we'll be like, oh, here's another Bond origin film, and this is its own. I, thing I don't, again. I don't think, I don't think they'll do the origin again, simply because I mean, think, I think the only reason they even did the origin was they had always been, they'd always kind of wanted to do Casino Royale. It took them a very long time to get those rights, mm. and it just gave them an opportunity to finally kind of do that. Um, and you know, at that time too, you might remember that Quentin Tarantino was talking about wanting to do Casino Royale, yeah. which I just recently read. I didn't know too much about it, but I guess like. They weren't like they weren't dismissive of that idea. I actually read that the, the only problem was that Tarantino is not a member of the Directors Guild, and to work on a studio film, he would have to, and he doesn't ever want to join. And right. so that kind of like that kind of dis, like disqualified him from ever actually being involved with the franchise. So they just had to go a different route. Um, but I will say I don't want to spoil anything because I, I know you're not the biggest fan of the Daniel Craig Bond films. Right. It seemed evident to me over time. But I mean, for any other listeners or just even you, if you want to check out the new one, so I'm not going to say what but I. This one ends definitively enough that, yes, for sure, it is its own little mini continuity. And I do think that heading forward, I certainly want them to go back to one-offs. And I think I have to imagine they'll be smart enough to understand that maybe to keep the Daniel Craig like mini, like five film little miniseries feeling special. Um, maybe you do just go back to that kind of idea of like kind of more one-offs because then it's always like, oh, the Daniel Craig is like the cool little experiment in the middle of it. Right. Like that was his little right. era. And that was something very different than the rest of them. Yeah, like, you know, like, I'm always sad to see, you know, Daniel Craig is one of my least favorite Bonds, but I love Daniel Craig, like, on his own, I guess you'd say, like, other movies. So it's, like, one of those things, like, I, you know, I've kind of been dreading this film coming out, because I'm just, I always, I don't know, I, I always get nervous, like, like, I know it's part of what reinvigorates the franchise from time to time, was who's the new Bond is going to be, but I mm -hmm. always, like, I get attached to the guys, and I don't want to see them go, type thing. Well, I'm a, I'm a Bond fan and a Doctor Who fan, so this is just something I get used, get used to, and I have trained myself over time to, as you just said, you're, it is a bummer to see someone go, but then you get the excitement of like the new one coming in, and and like to me, it's it is exciting now to having seen the last Craig one. Soon that that you know they'll say like next year they're going to start the search, and it'll be it'll be really fun when they like announce the new person. Then you get to speculate what's he going to be like, you know. So, and I also just think like uh, Daniel Craig has been Bond since like 2006. You know, I am right, kind right. of I'm, I am ready for him to be done. That was right. that was a long run, and there was obviously some complications in there that made like some very long gaps in between his films and. Uh, and I think when with these five films, you got to tell a pretty complete singular story. So yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to move on. Not to make this completely Bond talk, but Trev, do you remember like because there was some uh, 
studio issues with financing or whatever, um, there was a, like a four-year gap between Quantum of Solace and Skyfall, and the world mm-hmm. was losing its shit over having to wait four years for a Bond movie. But I guess this was de- by design, because they meant for it. But um, the new one, originally supposed to come out in 2020, that still would have been about a five-year gap between Spectre and uh, that one. Like The only longer gap was between the Dalton and Brosnan ones, I think, was like mm-hmm. six years. What's your time frame? How do you like to see it sync up? How often do you want James Bond? Because during the more years, they were doing one a year, and then later it became every two years. And then like they kind of came and went at different intervals with, with Craig, but it was like I would say roughly an average of three years in between each film. What do you Yeah, like? I, would, I would be fine. I think three years is a good is a good thing to aim for. I think sometimes with two years only, you can see like when franchises, like we've seen this in the MCU sometimes, when you're aiming for two years, those the sequels feel a little rushed and a little underdeveloped. I think three years is like the sweet spot to aim for. Um, I think the Craig ones were a little more difficult because as you said, well, first of all, in between Quantum of Solace and Skyfall, as you said, there were some studio issues and some shenanigans there, which, which were hurting it. And, but um, I also think with that one, because they were like connected, they had to spend like more time trying to break the next story and like figure out where they were going. I think the cool thing about going back to one-offs is it could just be like what it was back in the Brosden and, and more days where you just, all you have to do is develop a quickly develop a new story. Probably just have a bunch of writers come and pitch like different stories and pick the best one, you know, and just quickly run with it. So I think they could get back to being like every three years. And I think actually they'll probably make that effort because I think coming out of this Hollywood being so like franchise obsessed and now Amazon being a part of the Bond series, mm-hmm. I think you're gonna I think you're gonna see them trying to rush them out a little quicker. Yeah, it, it's like I'm fine with every two years if like you know what you're doing and you're not just kind of shitting them out, just the shitting out. I think three years is the best for quality, but it's also that thing too, is you don't want to go any longer than three years. Cause then it's like, I don't know. You're just getting in dicey territory. I but, also will say, I don't really want any bond actor to do more than like four or five movies. Honestly, I think, really? yeah. I mean, so Roger Moore, I I'm, I'm not a Roger Moore fan and I think he definitely went a couple movies too long. I mean, he looks like old and his last couple ones are shitty. <laughs> um, and I <laughs> just think like, they are. I'm sorry. He went out on a high note with View Do a Kill. That movie was very popular. Go, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> uh, just because it made money doesn't mean it was good. Uh, no, he was like, I, that movie, He was, you don't want to watch a Bond that looks like he's going to break his hip getting into like the jacuzzi like he does in that one scene in that movie. Um, but uh, I, I just think, like, like I said, I think the excitement is getting new Bonds. And I think it's just like with Doctor Who, I, I think every Doctor should only do three seasons. And I think like four or five movies is a good amount for any Bond. Yeah, like, I gotta say, I don't think we'll ever get it. First of all, my, like, the biggest gripe of the Bond whatever, and I kind of understand why, but the, I just wish uh, Timothy Dalton would have got one extra film. Like, if he could have done a trilogy, I would have Wasn't that his choice, though? Didn't he? Isn't he another guy that he wanted out? No, it, it was it was people complaining about the Bond films in the box office. Like, I don't think he really raised much of a stink, to be honest. Um, but, uh... Because I remember there was a thing, I mean, because they went six years and all that shit. Like, I think it was just like they were trying to reorganize and come back bigger and better and, you know, have bigger budgeted movies. Because I love Dalton movies because I feel like he nails the character of James Bond just as good as anybody ever did. But if you look at his movies, they're very low budget compared to the other ones, I feel like, Mm -hmm. when I watch Mm -hmm. them. But, yeah, I think it was just money shit had to get lined up the right way. 
So we totally talked through pretty much all the exciting parts of Mr. Boogity, like when Mr. Boogity uses powers to make the wax dummies come to life. So, yeah, so we like we should talk about because we were just we're gabbing on about Bond during that. But yeah. what do you think? <laughs> this is another like missed opportunity in the movie though, right? Where you said these like the exciting moments, but like so you have a wax figures of Jack the Ripper, a mm-hmm. Wolfman, Dracula. Like these are the wax figures that come to life and, and attack the town, and all we see them doing is like being nuisance, like being a nuisance. Like knocking over tables and like stealing popcorn, like you know, I, yeah. I get it. I get it's a Disney movie, but like, all right. <laughs> you know? Well, also too, like they just came out and made a mess because like they were actually scary looking, like the the Dracula and the Wolfman. They're actually scary looking, but I guess just to make it a fun wax museum, they put like goofy gags. On. So like the the Wolfman had a pair of X ray specs on, and Dracula had like a glasses with like a pig nose on and yeah like the wolfman was my favorite because he just went straight to the popcorn cart and just started throwing popcorn all over the place over and over he couldn't get enough popcorn to throw all over everybody (laughs) but it's like i thought it was going to be a great moment honestly when they came alive to like i thought they would run out and like totally scare the townspeople and like kind of run everybody out of that that carnival you know what i mean Mm mm-hmm it almost yeah. seems like there's something missing there because we see them like attacking the carnival and being a nuisance and people kind of, you know, they are running from him and stuff. And then we cut to like some other scene. Then we come back and the carnival is just like going on and yeah. like they're gone. Like, and yeah. I feel like there's something that got cut or something or just well, is not there. anymore. They didn't like do anything to stop it, but they just like turned off. Like they just stopped because there is one shot of, of, of uh, 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 the dad trying to pick up the guy who's playing the wolfman like oh i'm gonna carry my dummies back and there's like one more shot later where he's got another one he's carrying the dummies back inside but it's just like it never really made sense why it stopped it just it, it just seemed it was a sloppy edit but now we have boogie in his full power he turned the mom into like pretty much the bride of frankenstein he gave her the you know the what do you call it, the white hair. streak hair yeah mm-hmm which is like a little on the nose, right? It's a bride yeah. of Boogity, and for some reason she gets like the bride of Frankenstein hair when he's after her, but whatever. I mean, that's always a cool look, so. Yeah, so we got the bride of Boogity with eight minutes left in the film. <laughs> this is the escalation you expect from like a sequel, though, right? To where like yeah. they said so the first movie was just this family fighting him in like the living room, and now we have Boogity like in the town square, attacking the whole town. Everyone sees him. I really thought this was going to lead to kind of like the whole town like converging and kind of going after boogity instead we just get this kind of like smaller group but that's you know still more characters than the first film so even though we're getting into the the whatever the climax one more bond question do you own all the bond films trev are you that guy no i just buy the ones i actually like so i can tell you i I, let me see if i can think of it off the top of my head which ones i have on blue uh i have goldfinger from russia with love um Live and Let Die, The Spy Who Loved Me, License to Kill, Golden Eye, Tomorrow Never Dies, Die Another Day. I have I have that Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, uh, like double feature Blu-ray. And then I have Skyfall. Um, I really didn't like Spectre that much, so I wasn't going to buy it. But having now seen No Time to Die, which I think like redeems Spectre a little bit. Mm-hmm. And as I said, kind of just wanting all five Craig films because I think they work together as a whole now. I, I probably wound up buying, going back and getting Spectre and then also getting No Time to Die. And there's still a couple I would go back and get that I don't have. But those are like my favorites that I just mentioned. So, Oh, and Honor yeah. Majesty's Secret Service. Sorry, that's one of my favorites too. Yeah, I need to give that one a fair shake. I never have. Like, I always watch it on TV, and I'm always bored yeah, it's, by it. I, it's really like one of my favorites, and I also think Lazenby was actually a great Bond. I wish, and you know, that was his stupidity. He quit. He um, did. He, he should have stuck around and, and done more. Yeah, I actually did the thing, because I couldn't figure out how many I had, how many I didn't. I actually did, like, the whole list about a month ago. 
So I'm gearing up for Black Friday, and I'm hoping I can knock mm-hmm. out. I, I, I finally decided to become that guy. I'm going to try to own them all on Blu-ray and all that. Because their box sets that they put out were always expensive and weird and made no sense. So I'm just going to buy them all individually. But like, but like yeah. if you don't like the Craig ones, why would you want to own them? But I like some of them, though. Like, um, I like um, probably my two favorite <laughs> are Quantum Solace and Spectre, in all honesty. I do like Casino Royale. Like, it took me a while to warm up to Casino Royale because at first I thought it was trying to be a little too much like Born or whatever. But, um, yeah, like, I don't well, know. Well, it is. That, that's one thing about the Bond franchise, right? Like, and this is this is a criticism. Like, the Bond franchise, I, I read a whole book about the Bond franchise, and even the book makes the point. That's a franchise that chases trends. It doesn't make them. That's yeah. always been true. You know, it's I always agree. like you can look at the Bond series and see it's copying what has been popular recently. I, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, it's 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 weird. It's like it, it's like uh, you know, same thing happened with Pierce Brosnan. I didn't really enjoy the, with the exception of Golden Eye. I didn't really enjoy the Pierce Brosnan movies when they came out. I thought they were just okay. And then after he wasn't Bond anymore, I miss Pierce Brosnan and I enjoy watching his films now. So and that's probably gonna happen to Daniel Craig too. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know it will. And I love Daniel Craig. I I, I went and saw in the theater. I saw a Layer Cake just based on the hype that he was going to probably be James Bond or whatever. And I love that movie. I have that movie on Blu-ray too. Probably my favorite uh, performance of his. You ever see that uh, uh, Kira Knightley, Adrian Brody movie, The Jacket? Uh, I, yes, I saw it like a long time ago, but I barely remember it. Yeah, so like they throw Adrian Brody into like a nut house because he accidentally time traveled and nobody believed him, right? So they just think he's crazy. Well, like in a supporting role, like his best friend, and I don't know why, but his like weird dyed black hair is Daniel Craig playing a complete like batshit guy in the in the insane asylum. I don't know, like ever since that role, even more, it really endeared me to him, and. uh even like his B movies, like shit, like Dreamhouse. I don't know if you ever seen that horror movie with him in it. I like that too. So I don't know. I'm, I probably will miss him as Bond. I just the only thing I didn't like about his series was they were a little too dour for me because they were all about his trauma and you know. It'll be interesting what, what, to see what you think of No Time to Die because I, you know, that the Phoebe Waller Bridge script polish was definitely felt. This is by far the most humorous one he's done, and he gets to flex his comedic chops a little bit more in this one, which is nice to see. Well, I might like that, though, because at the end of the Skyfall, they kind of hint at a return to a more traditional Bond when, like, Ray Fiennes comes in. And mm-hmm. uh, and this, I, I like Spectre, but I didn't feel like Spectre... I felt like Spectre was more of the, like, Skyfall Casino Royale type. I didn't feel like they really went back to the, the lighthearted Bond or whatever. So here we have a real dodgy plot, right? So they figure out... <laughs> They they can can unleash this tombstone, right? And it will open up basically a a hole to hell to suck Mr. Boogity back into. So the way they're going to lure uh, the bride of Boogity, which is their mom, away, is they're going to dress now the daughter up. Yeah, offer up the daughter. Yeah. Say, oh, don't you want me to be the, you know, I'm younger and hotter. Like, I'm the daughter. Um, Yeah. Because I guess we should, in all fairness, we should say, like he's always like mistaking these women for the woman he was obsessed with back in the pilgrim days but like he doesn't remember her face he just remembers what she wore like that was like a weird plot point maybe too. that maybe that's just his excuse right saying yeah. oh i think it's but then he sees that tangent daughter he's like hmm you know it's an 18 year old girl i guess or 17 year old girl even like i'll take that one you know and it went pretty sideways cuz he immediately once he released the mom from whatever you know magic she was like, under 
Yeah, what did they think was going to happen? Like their plan yeah. consists of you run up and be the distraction, but of course he just grabs her, and then they're yeah. like trying. Then they have a hard time getting her away. Of course, like yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking, like, was that like a risk Mazer was willing to take? Because <laughs> he cares more about his wife than his daughter. You know, he's got two other kids. You know, yeah. and there less, was like a less food to put on the table. Yeah. So they defeat Mister Boogity, and they're walking away. And then the ghost of the little boy from the Pilgrim Day says, "Oh, Mister Boogity's coming back!" And everybody gets all scared. And then he goes, "Just kidding." Yeah, that's a callback to the first one ends with like a little like moment where they're like, no such thing as ghosts. And then like a little like uh, like the, uh, one of their little gags like winks at Richard Mazur. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, like, you know, again, we're talking about like modern day screenwriting. I think any like modern day screenwriter would look at this and say uh, a beat that was kind of missing from the end is Eugene Levy needed to have some kind of heroic moment to like yeah. uh, give himself some redemption. Yeah, because he kind of jo- he joins the gang at the end saying like, oh, yeah. I'm sorry, but he doesn't he doesn't do anything. He just always stands in the yeah. background. Yeah. Like, I guess it's good that he's not being, like, a stone-cold dick anymore, but at the same time, yeah. I agree. So, I mean, this Mr. Boogie, I mean, let's be honest, not quite as good as the first, but I, I, you know, like, the the qualities we liked about the first Mr. Boogie, just something to ease you into the... uh, the Halloween spirit. It's it's not a bad watch. I probably will watch this again another day. I'll probably do it more as a double feature type thing. I'll probably watch one one day and this one the next. Yeah, day. I always say like these kind of films. There's just there's just something comforting about them, especially around this time of year, right? Like they're just something we kind of have on the background, and they do take you back to like a different time and a more simpler time, and you don't have to pay like very close attention to them. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I like you said. I like the first one more for sure. It's shorter. And it's like a little bit more to the point. But uh, yeah. but yeah, I think these are enjoyable. I'm glad they're just sitting here on Disney Plus to to kind of visit whenever you want. Exactly. Probably when we release this episode, everybody will run to watch it, and then Bob Chapek will get those numbers, and he'll have to greenlight Boogity Three. Yeah, here's hoping. Yeah. Yeah. We 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 could be. What is it? The spark that lights the flame that brings. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever we we bring the return of Boogity. Are there happen. any like are there any like modern day actors you would love to see like kind of in the the Boogity franchise? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's way long past you, but like if we were talking like fifteen twenty years ago, I would be like, let's get Robert England as Mister Boogity. That'd be awesome. Yeah, and we're probably gonna get like John Cena or something. Oh yeah, know? John Cena's Mister. Hey, dudes, Boogity Boogie. Uh, I would I wouldn't mind Bill Mosley, but I didn't realize Bill Mosley was a gentleman almost in his seventies himself. That shocked me. I found that out recently. Yeah, no, he's he's an he's an older man. You know. Yeah, he's just. To me, I mean, he seems just as spry and ageless as ever. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I think like maybe we could do a. Um, maybe we could just cut out the whole like family dynamic. Like, I know that doesn't work as well. Actually, it does look more, more with modern uh, Disney, and we could just go more with just, like, uh, like a group of teenagers. I think I would like to see that take a Mr. Yeah. Boogie. Or, you know, like, we could follow, like, the Hollywood trends, and we could actually just do Boogity Begins and do the yeah. prequel film about <laughs> yeah. the, the Pilgrim, you know, and tell, you know, have, make it like The Witch, but about Mr. Boogity. That was one of the highlights of the first film was that flashback scene. I actually was, like, caught up in the quality of the filmmaking on that. I thought that actually was pretty good. Yeah, where it had, like, the kind of, like, cardboard, like, stand-up yeah. sets behind them, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was, like, mm-hmm. you know... It, it was, was, like, stylistic in a way the rest of it was not. Right, right. Like, yeah. you know, it was obviously because of budget, but sometimes when you get a little more creative like that, it, it definitely does. Yeah. So that's it for Mr. Boogie, I guess. And obviously we hope all you have a good Halloween. Um, out of all your... I, I know uh, you still got some films on your list for this Halloween season, Trev, but is there one uh, you've watched so far that you would like to recommend to people? 
Let me bring up, uh, why don't you tell you, if there's one you're thinking of, go ahead. Let me bring up what I've watched so far, and I'll, I'll pick a couple of doozies in there. But uh, yeah. if you want to, while I'm doing that, if you want to throw out some, some I actually, I actually haven't uh, re-watched it yet this year, but I'm hoping to squeeze it in. But I'm actually going to go with the film you and me did, Trev, uh, years ago. I don't know why, but recently I, the imagery of Soul Survivor has been creeping back into my mind. Yeah, it still is. That is a movie that I, I, I definitely love uh, still recommending to people and kind of telling them they, they need to check it out for sure. And then also, too, we, we talked about it, I think, about a year ago, and then that prompted me to go out and not track down the Blu-ray. But, uh, man, I, ca- I cannot say enough of, uh, especially if you want, like, a wallop of an ending, I would really recommend the Gary Sherman's Dead and Buried. That movie left a big, mm-hmm. um, a big mark on me, and that was one I've never... Like, I think I was familiar with the poster, but I honestly never knew anything about it. Just one of the ones that never really showed up in my local video stores or whatever. And yeah, like, I don't know. That movie stuck with me as well. I'm hoping to get a rewatch of that in, too, with everything yeah. we watching. Well, let me throw out, like, some of my, like, fun discovery, like, precluding, like, the obvious ones that I've watched that, you know, like, American Werewolf and, you know, In the Mouth of Madness, stuff I always just enjoy. Mm-hmm. But uh, some ones that are, like, kind of fun discoveries for me. Um, so Beyond the Door Part Three. I don't know if you've seen this one, Goat. Uh, I know uh-huh. you talked about how you haven't seen like maybe a lot of as much Italian stuff as I have. Um, so like Beyond, there was the original Beyond the Door. This is like one of those Italian things where like there's Beyond the Door Two and Beyond the Door Three, but neither of them are really sequels. <laughs> They're just like kind of using the names. Uh, Beyond the Door Three is actually a movie called A Muck Train, and they just turned it into Beyond the Door <laughs> a Three. Muck train. But A Muck Train was kind of it's actually kind of like Runaway Train, but with like a supernatural bent. Uh, to where these like kids, these American kids on a, like a, a field trip to like uh, Romania, uh, end up on this train and the train is actually possessed by the devil, uh, the train itself. So it's not a person possessed, it's the train. And so these kids are stuck on it and they can't get off and the train is trying to take them somewhere. And every time they try to escape it, like will kill them or those who are helping them in really brutal ways. Some really cool gore effects, just a really neat premise. I think that's one people should definitely check out. Um, I'll also throw a recommendation to, and this is one maybe you've seen Goat, because I hadn't seen it for, until just recently, but I enjoyed it. It was 1990's Mirror, Mirror. Oh, um, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I think there's even a sequel, isn't there? There's a couple sequels. I, yeah. Actually, uh, Mirror, Mirror 2 is uh, Mark Ruffalo's uh, screen debut, from what I understand. I haven't, I haven't dived into the sequels yet, but I really enjoyed the first Mirror, Mirror. It stars um, Rainbow Harvest, who is like an actress I recently found out about from watching some like other kind of goofy TV movie she did with Mark Hamill and uh, Roddy McDowell. Um, she like basically looks like she's a clone of Winona Ryder, like wow. made in a lab. And in this movie, she's even like dressed like Lydia Dietz. And this is about where her and her mom and her mom played by Karen Black. Uh, they move into this new house and, uh, this like ancient or this like antique mirror is left behind. And it turns out this mirror has like kind of a supernatural history and the mirror starts like possessing uh, rainbow harvest and, and giving her like, it's like, it's, it's definitely a monkey's paw thing. You know, it makes her like, she starts becoming kind of like more popular, gives her powers, but it's also like taking her humanity. Um, very, very fun, like kind of, you know, I, I think maybe it was like a direct-to-video film at the time, but it's just got a lot of the the kind of early 90s horror vibes that you and I enjoy, I think. So that's another one. And then the last one I'll kind of just bring up really quickly is um, I watched for the first time and really enjoyed uh, I, Madman. Oh, uh, yeah. Starring one of our favorites, Jenny Wright. Um, mm-hmm. I had never seen that, and that's like one of those ones where it's like, man, I'm mad, I'm mad I hadn't seen that like earlier because that's like something that clearly would have been like a favorite of mine like through the years because I just thought that was like such a blast from a from good old Tibor Takis. Uh, oh yeah, the, the, that one is like, oh man, I like, and I only recently just I say recently, but I remember it really vividly. It was about ten years ago. Um, I rented it from like Netflix. 
and I think I think I I can't remember if it was either because of Clayton Rohner or Jenny Wright, but one of them I was just going down the Netflix list of their filmography. Mm-hmm. Wanted to see. Actually, I think it was Jenny Wright because I'd seen her. I mean, I always knew her, obviously, but uh, I had seen her a couple years earlier in, in Chocolate War, the tiny part mm-hmm. she had in that, and I was like, I need to see more of her. I love her so much. And I was like, oh, there's another movie that like really stars her besides uh, Near Dark. Uh, and then I was like, yeah, she was the girl in Near Dark, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And Out of Bounds, of course. Oh, yeah, Out of Bounds, of course. And, uh, yeah, so, like, I rented that, and I was like, man, I was, like, not um, not prepared for what that film had. Especially, the, I won't ruin it for anybody, but the ending. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm talking yeah. about, Trev? Yeah, the ending is amazing, yeah. Yeah. And, like, to me, that's, like, the perfect, like, movie graveyard type movie in terms of that sweet spot of, like, Movies that, like, came out, it, some of them, like that one, even in their day, didn't really have a heyday. But you look back on it, and you're like, wow, this is, like, I don't know, it's, it's like, so good in how kind of audacious and, and fearless it is. And it's just, like, willing to put the most craziest premise, you know, kind of on the screen, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's one of those ones where, this is probably not your the case with you, I'm guessing you were able to snag it, but this is one of those ones where I'm frustrated yeah. that I got into it when I did, because then I was like, oh, well, maybe I should go look at that blue, and of course it's a Scream Factory blue that's now long out of print, and uh, going for like crazy prices online, so I kind of missed my shot on that one. But Yeah, it, 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 it went out of print, I would say, very quickly, I mean, definitely no more than two years, it felt like even, because that was one of those ones, Trev. Where I was like, do I want to buy this DVD? It's it's full frame. It's not widescreen. Blah blah blah. I fu- I was like, I want to see this movie again. I want to own this movie. It was one of those ones I literally bought it, and a month later they announced the Blu-ray. So I was like, okay, whatever. I'm there. And like, yeah, I was. Uh, you know, I'm glad I didn't sleep on it because you know, mm-hmm. it's a great movie. I love it. Yep. I really wish it had more of a cult audience, in all honesty, but it just doesn't. Yeah, no, I was yeah. That's what I was surprised that it, especially if like it's from the end and everything. You'd think. Uh, oh, speaking of that, actually, speaking of movies, I'm surprised don't have more of a cult following, and movies that I'm surprised I was able to get to this point without having them spoiled. Let me throw in one more. This is one I don't know if you know about. Goat. It's uh, the Caller from 1987 with Malcolm McDowell and uh, uh, and, and Madeline Osborne. Have you seen this movie? No, but 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 I want to see it. I saw it pop up on cable like a month ago. And I want to say it was on demand only for like a month on one of the movie channels, and I th- I can't remember. I might have either I DVR'd it or I rent or I like on demanded it, and I think it expired. No, I, actually, I'm I'm 99 sure it's on my DVR, Trev. So. Okay. Well, this if, if anything, like if, if the people listening to the show, knowing the the listeners of this show, like what kind of movies they're into, if you take anything from this episode, I, I implore you go watch the caller. I watched it on YouTube. There's like an okay like kind of quality version on YouTube right yeah. now. Um, so this is a movie that just has two, only two actors in it. Um, it is uh, uh, Madeline Osborne plays this um, woman who's like, uh, when we catch when we catch up with her, she's staying in this like remote cabin in the woods. And then there's a knock at her door, and it's Malcolm McDowell, and that's never good news, <laughs> you know. And uh, she, he says he like has a flat tire, and she invites him in, and he starts saying some things. He seems to know a little bit more about her life than he should, and so she's obviously getting worried. It seems like maybe he's someone who's been following her for a while. And then suddenly she starts saying stuff to him that insinuates that maybe she knows about him. And so now you – he seems thrown off, and now you are thrown off. And I won't say too much more than that, but this just – this whole movie becomes this like bizarre, psychosexual kind of – game between these two characters and you don't know where it's heading and i just implore people do what you can to go into this not knowing where it's heading because the the third act twist to this is just incredible and i i promise you you won't see it coming um but yeah it's just two great actors 
uh, strutting their stuff, and then all building to like a, an insane finale. Yeah, Trev, I just checked my DVR. I got it, man. Right, yeah. Wait. Well, make, make, a, make a point to check it out, yeah. I, will, I would say for anybody out there, because a lot of these rare horror movies where I catch a lot of them, same with this one, The Caller, if anybody's got a, if you guys got pay TV, cable, satellite, whatever, if you got the channel MGM HD, watch, keep the, keep an eye on the listings on that channel. Um, they play so much obscure stuff in HD, obviously, that is not on Blu-ray, not on anything, just never airs anything. And they just dig it up and it will run for a month or two and then it will just disappear again. So keep an eye on MGM HD if you got it on your TV or whatever. I honestly wish they had a streaming service because like... I would pay it because, like, they have the most obscure shit on there. And it always mm-hmm. comes and goes really quick. So, you know, I don't know why. I guess just the, the vault is too big. They're always rotating them. But You, you know. know what service is actually, what streaming service is pretty good for, like, weird, obscure kind of shit, as long as you don't mind uh, commercials being thrown in because it's an ad-supported service, is Tubi. Yeah. Uh is really good for, like, weird horror movies that you wouldn't. And, like, obviously a lot of it is, like, kind of more modern a yeah. clear like tax shelter junk horror films but, <laughs> but there's a lot of cool like uh, a lot of cool like 80s and 90s stuff on there as well that uh that's something you don't see pop up on any other services and, and don't have easy physical media releases out there yeah it's 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 weird because it's like right now for like especially if you're a blu-ray collector like the, the the gates are open like they've never been open before but at the same time there are still some movies that are locked behind whatever certain studio deals that just yeah. never come out you know Prom Night 2, still like my uh, my most desired blue. Prom Night 2, Electric Boogaloo, um, but you can see uh, Darcy the male girl uh, dress up on mm-hmm. Joe Bob, like the character. Again, the, 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 I think that's a movie if it was like, and we've covered it on this show, but it, the Prom Night 2 is a movie if, if it just, whoever has the rights to it, if they got the right person merchandising that, I, I think that movie could make a big comeback. But Yeah. You know. It was just recently on the cover of Fangoria. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's like every few years it, it rears its head in some form, but yet, like, you just, it never really comes along, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's just, it's just weird. So it's the way the movie business works. So, yeah. So I think that's pretty it. Is this a good Halloween season for you so far, Trev? So far, it's been okay. You know, I, I'm kind of bummed that like it's um. So I know this is like always the case for you living in California, but but yeah. out here in like both Virginia and Michigan, the two states that kind of go in between, it's been unseasonably warm. It still feels like the summer, and that's a bummer that it still doesn't feel like fall. Um, so that's too bad. Um, and also, a lot of stores have already gotten rid of their Halloween aisles and have just moved into the Christmas. Like I know that, that that seems to move earlier and earlier every year, and this one is just like, yeah, I just went in a store and like all their. I went to a Target and like all the Halloween stuff was already down. It's like, are you kidding me? Like it's it's mid. We're not even at mid October yet. Um, so that was frustrating. But I'm but I've been watching a lot of horror stuff and uh, it seems like you know we talk about how like Disney Plus threw up some Halloween specials. Um, you know, there's a lot of like Netflix is putting out like a lot more horror stuff. Uh, Shutter's obviously doing their they had the Elvira and Joe Bob special. So I feel like. You know, there's like uh, there's a new Halloween movie coming. I don't know how. You know, whatever. It's a Halloween. I'm always excited for Halloween movie. Actually, in a the theater is yeah. a Halloween. So. Yeah, I think it's been good. Yeah, and also on the on the Peacock too. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's it's everywhere. Like I feel like in a weird way, even though we're like kind of in COVID, kind of not in COVID, like we're half foot in, half foot out type thing. I feel like I feel like this. Uh, you know, maybe it's just like shit was left over from last year on some <laughs> of these things. But like, yeah, I feel like this year is like actually more like a 
you know, Halloween. I've been watching a lot of the Halloween films, getting ready for the new one to come out. You know, rewatched Halloween 78 and then the 2018 film I finally mm-hmm. rewatched. So I'm ready for the new one. And yeah, it's it's here. It's still pretty warm during the day, but it's it's finally cooling off during the night. So if you go out driving around in the night, you get a little bit of the fall flavor. And I agree with you 100%, man. When, you, when you're in a warm place during October, it kind of sucks because you, mm-hmm. you don't feel like you're getting the full emotional feeling of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, man, keep those horror marathons going, Trev. I wanna, I wanna thank you for going on this, uh, this literally two year crazy boogity, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like. What are we now? I feel lost for like. What do we do yeah. next October? I was like, do we just continue the Disney Plus trend and just do Muppets Haunted Mansion next year? <laughs> Which I don't, I don't even. I want to see a Muppets Haunted Mansion, but I couldn't even tell you what it is. Is it a movie? Is it a special? Is it it's ten a, minutes it, long? Like, no, I, don't it's, I think I think it's fifty minutes, so it's okay. it's a special. Yeah, yeah, yeah you never know. We'll, we'll give it a watch, and then we'll decide if it's worthy mm-hmm. next year. But yeah, I don't I don't know. It's 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 always one of the funnest times to. Uh, you know, it's like unfortunately, like like here we kind of do year horror all year round, but still, it's always nice to at least do one episode to, you know, remember stuff that gets you into the season, and also mm-hmm. to talk about James Bond during Halloween because uh, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. for some reason I decided to release this one in October instead of November, which to me is always the Bond month. But uh... yeah, that was weird, and I think if you look at the box office, even though it is number one, I think it still was. Uh, you know like like i don't know i I think they kind of stepped in the doo-doo there going being like oh last week box office did 90 million sure everybody will want to come out again the next week to see a big blockbuster you know just read about how like and i get like there and so like the opening weekend for it was like pretty much in line with like most of the bond movies i don't know why they like they they certain they just it's one of those things where they definitely over inflated their like expectations of this you know I think I think just because of COVID, they thought box office was going to be dog shit all year long. And then when um, when Venom kind of popped up and a couple other films kind of popped up and did what they're like, well, if Venom can do ninety million, then Bond's yeah. got to do a hundred million. I was like, eh. Venom's also like ninety minutes in for stupid kids, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like exactly. Bond skews to an older audience, and it's two and a half hours, so you know. Real, real quick, Trev, I haven't seen the the new Venom film. Uh, I saw a debate. And I couldn't remember myself. I saw a debate online. Should should Carnage have a tongue? I can't remember the comics. Did Carnage? I thought Carnage did have a tongue in the comics. I don't remember. Boy, I'll tell you, I couldn't be as less interested in that debate because uh, <laughs> I haven't seen I haven't seen either Venom movie. Venom is a character I don't really like in the comics. I think okay. he's like a very very overrated villain. Um, and yeah. I and Carnage is even like less interesting. So I don't care. <laughs> Well, apparently, uh, a lot of people have been claiming that Venom and Carnage are the Halloween superstars of comic book films. Because for some reason, everybody's convinced this is a, this new one is a horror movie, which is weird. But anyway, you know, teach their own. Mm-hmm. Trev, anything exciting you got going on, on your other podcast? Uh, Failure to franchise. We uh, we have been covering. So if you're listening to this around October, you can go back and listen to our last four episodes. Um, which over September and October, we did The Curse of the Dark Universe. And we looked at all of Universal's attempts to uh, reboot their kind of classic Universal monsters. We looked at Van Helsing, the 2010 Wolfman, Dracula Untold, and the 2017 The Mummy starring Tom Cruise. And now we're gearing into, actually, I have a little bit of a, a change in plans. We'll go from last time we talked. I think when I last talked to you, uh, we were planning on uh, Noise November with two Philip Noyce movies. But oh, yeah. uh, we actually pivoted on that. 
Um, we decided to take like a put that we're we're still going to get back to that at some point. But this year, with all the hype for the new Matrix film coming out, uh, which we are excited about and everyone loving that trailer, uh, we decided to actually spend November looking at the two failed uh, Wachowski uh, franchise attempts with Jupiter Ascending and Speed Racer. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's a good time. I mean, then again, it's like I can't imagine a better month to talk about Philip Noyce than November, but at the same time, they kind of did force so. your hand. They forced our hand, and also, if we're being honest, if you want a little um, peek at how the sausage is made, um, our numbers actually did start going up a little bit with the Curse of the Dark Universe episodes, and we asked ourselves, is the best way to follow that with a Blind Fury episode? Maybe not. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, you never know. I have, to, I have to say, I play the numbers guessing game, and it usually, when I, when I get too conscious about what to release next, it usually backfires, so, but yeah. you never know. But yeah. you, guys, you guys know what you're doing better. You guys are, you know, it's like, I've always, uh, obviously, I've known you as a podcaster for going on 10 plus years, but uh, I'm always, uh, he, he hypnotized your your co-host chris he tells me to hit the tribe and subscribe rate review whatever you do like he like and there was like a problem because i listened to the show through spotify through apple tv and i thought you guys had edited this way but apple tv spotify's goofy is like it kept looping like the last bit of the episode so it literally looped like i was sitting here for like six minutes straight just hearing Chris go, rate and review, subscribe, do what you do. Like, he kept going. I was like, why did they edit this? And then I was like, I went and checked it on another platform, uh, Spotify on another platform, and it worked normal. I'm like, oh, hmm. that was just like Apple TV's got a bug or something. But uh, Maybe we should do that, though. Yeah, he hypnotized me. It was weird. Yeah. Like, I can't even tell you how, like, bizarre it was because I'm working, you know, the, the TV's on behind me playing the episode. I'm like, what's going on? Like, what happened? And it's just, you know. Uh, something to look into. Maybe we'll just give that a yeah. look. Like, you guys could be the next fucking Connell Cochran's with that shit <laughs> getting everybody like all hyped up and uh well X-Men's got some big news too I don't I'm sure you guys are covering over on the the days of future podcast but oh yeah there's been a lot of there's actually been a lot going on with the, the comic book line the the biggest like the writer who kind of rebooted the whole line a couple of years ago is like leaving the line so there's a lot of speculation what's coming next um you know every day we're inching closer and closer to something happening with the X-Men and the MCU so yeah. uh you know, as soon we'll be talking about all that. Um, but yeah, so we lately, as we've been waiting for that, we've just been going back and kind of reviewing like a lot of older storylines and issues. And uh, yeah, still still chugging along there too. We just hit our we just hit our 150th episode. That's amazing because because when you guys started the show, I was like, I was like, how are they going to keep this going for a long time? You know, because a lot of like podcasts, you know, come and go. They go for a couple years or whatever. But then when I when I start listening to the episodes and I start realizing how deep of a dive you and joe are doing i was just like oh these guys you know like i guess there's 60 years of x-men they can do 60 years of podcast based on mm-hmm. but yeah. yeah so awesome podcasting empire amazing i can't i can't i can't believe it like from where we came 10 years ago to now i can't believe uh all the proliferation i know, you know. look at us look at it. we've all we both of us have gone through multiple shows uh-huh. we got all the movies we've talked about amazing all building to bride a boogity. Exactly. <laughs> I think we can just kind of like we should. This is probably be the last episode of the movie graveyard. Is <laughs> a swan song? Yeah. How will we ever top this? I mean, mm-hmm. in true fashion. But yeah, that's it. I just want to wish you guys a happy Halloween. Have fun. Stay safe. Have a good time. Trev, obviously, I want to thank you for uh, you know really having the cojones to step into the ring with boogity not once but twice. Oh, of course. Anytime you need me, you know, you can just send out the Treb signal and I'll, I'll be back in the graveyard. So. Exactly. 
So everybody, thanks again, and we catch you right back here again soon in the movie graveyard.